Cookie? Yeah. Cookie Googleman? Yeah. Does this ring a bell? I'm not wearing underwear. Bulge. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> Bulge? Yeah. Get out of town. <laughs> it's me. You look fantastic. Me too. <clears throat> You've grown. I'm growing right now, girl, just looking at you. That is the one and only time I've ever done it on a roller coaster. Hello, folks. Welcome to the City Beef Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Gary Hill. Uh, alone again in the introduction here, but that's uh, that's more than fine. So you'll hear many more people on this episode. I'm looking forward to you guys checking that out. Uh, first of all, thank you for, for joining us. Uh, this is part two of the Beef Anniversary, and our CRISPR guest uh, exploding all in your face. I don't have a name for the CRISPR guest thing. It's just uh, it's a celebration, and um, that's good shit, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> This is uh, the fun part of the show for me. Uh, it might be a new segment of the show to replace my uh, what you've been watching. This might be a Patreon thing. I don't know. Give a little extended reviews on these. Um, I decided to do the horror and the horrible uh, question mark on the, the horrible. You never can tell. Uh, I don't watch a lot of new horror, so I think it would be fun for me to do to, to review uh, a new horror film with very little spoilers and uh, review something that could be terrible it's an older film more than likely and um might be really good uh i think that the, the, the one in question is uh kind of in the middle because it kind of um yeah <laughs> but uh the first film i'm going to review for that is a brand new horror film uh that's out in in taiwan in selected theaters i think right now uh comes the shutter on the 12th so i'll keep this my spoilers um Brief and hopefully just little, little existent in this movie. Uh, it's one of the cool kids are talking about called The Sadness. Uh, this film is a film in which um, they're t- they would take out the pandemic that that turns into like as a whole. I don't call them zombies. They're they're, they're calling it a zombie film, but I wouldn't call it a zombie film because they're more like infected with uh like a rage virus that makes the the, the limbic system go nuts and make them want to kill people. In horrible, bloody, bloody ways and make their sex drives go crazy so they want to rape people. And this this film, uh, f- first of all, not for the squeamish. Uh, if, if you do not like blood and stuff like uh, eyeball um, um, removal and rape, uh, male and female, um, yeah, there's that. Uh, testicle smashing in this movie. There's all kinds of nasty things. Some guy gets hit in the face with some fry grease and his face starts to melt so the, the, the infected person starts to tear his skin off and you see everything. My gosh. Uh, the crux of this film is basically this this couple trying to get back to each other. You know, once she leaves for work and he finds out that this thing is going on, they're, they're searching for each other. So you're basically following these two people through the whole run around the city and seeing all this craziness and it's 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 really wild shit but i i, I wouldn't i wouldn't recommend it for everybody it, it reminds me a lot of the film i'd be a long time ago i forget with who called the taint it's a trauma produced film about of a, a, like a virus that gets loose via like like the omega man type situation that makes dudes into like uh overly misogynistic pricks who want to kill women and it ends. It uh, your protagonist in the film is like this skateboarding douchebag 
who I think at the end of the movie, I'm not going to watch the taint again because it was, it was kind of really stupid, but they have like enlarged penises, like ridiculous penises. And he has to shoot the heads off these dicks to make them die. Does they kill these people? And there was something on the, the, the more playful side of ridiculous, ridiculous, ridiculousness. You could watch, um, the taint as well. But um, the sadness um, again. It comes to Shutter on Twelfth, so if you have Shutter, you can watch it there. Um, I don't want to give a crazy amount away because it's it's a uh, it's very simplistic in, in nature. It's nothing you really haven't seen before as far as plot goes. But as far as like Gonzo violence, it, it's just like yeah. The only issue I have, and um, I listened to the Cult of Muscles review of this movie, and they they're a hundred percent correct. Once you get about two thirds of the way through this movie, you have a subplot where there's a lot of exposition that's had. That's when the film takes a dip into the slow side, and you're not really caring what happens next because nothing really happens after this dip happens. A lot, it 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 hurts the film, but all the stuff before it is just a gory fucking mess. So, if you're interested in the sadness, uh, it comes a high recommend to me to uh, to check out. Um, go, go, go do that, uh, when it comes to Shudder, if you haven't saw it already. Um, the, the horrible, uh, segment of, of this, I watched a film called The Day of the Dolphin, which is a film that stars George C. Scott. Um, your basic plot of this movie is he is, a, a guy who works with dolphins, and he is teaching the dolphins how to communicate with humans, like, like, secret, because he doesn't want the government to, um, corrupt his work. Or use them for nefarious means, but uh, wouldn't you know it? You know, once once the government stooges start to, starts to question the money they're giving him, and you know what's what's going on with the money, what's our results? Uh, the government stooges get fucking curious as hell, and there's a whole plot in here where they come to visit, and they're gonna take these uh, these dolphins for nefarious things, uh, i.e., using them to assassinate the president. <laughs> yeah. It's nuts, but you know what? I'll tell you one thing about this film. It has beautiful island locations, first of all. So if you, if you watch this, this is a Mike Nichols film, so it's a very legit, you know, thing. That's based on a book I've never read before. But um, George C. Scott, this movie is is doing the 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 best he can with you know a plot you wouldn't normally see him in. You know, playing this scientist who cares deeply for these animals, and there's a point where he he brings a female dolphin in to get to get a more chatty. So the, the whole idea of them having the mate and, you know, them, I'd imagine they're going to breed these animals. They're successful in their assassination skills. It's a ridiculous subplot to this movie, but it's, it's not, it's not, um, it's not unsound to, to, to say that, that if dolphins were as smart and they are very smart creatures, but if they could follow human commands, would they follow those human commands to a T? Would they find out in the end that you don't know because they're 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 not that stupid? They, they they could do the job, but they only follow the people they trust, which is our our character uh, played by George C. Scott and his his team. And um, it's really it, this sounds like a really dull dull plot. And, and let me tell you, it, it's not. It, it's it's very interesting. You know, we got a lot of stuff, you know, like in the 80s and the early 90s about, you know, animals and what they could do. Uh, I used to like Free Willy and like Project X. But this is like a first film, you know, like that. To, to where you could see, you know, how, how they can use for science and stuff like that. And the personalities and the the, the, the wiseness of these creatures. And uh, a young Paul Sorvino in this looking all baby-faced and stuff. It's, it's really strange to look at him like this. 
Uh, Edward uh, Edward Herman shows up in this movie. The guy uh, whose name I always forget, but he plays the like the I forget who he plays. But he's the guy from Real Genius who uh, t- tells young Mitch, you know, to always uh, never forget to check your references. That that guy shows up in this movie as one of the the government stooges that steals the dolphins for nefarious. Um, they, they get their revenge, <laughs> obviously. Yeah, but um, there's a part in this movie. Oh, it, it'll make you sad because it's a real Harry and the Hendersons moment to where George C. Scott has to tell the Dolphins to scram or else the government is just going to come take them again and use them for, you know, their whatever they want to use them for. And he has to look away and he has to yell, he has to yell at these Dolphins. You know, like when, when, when George has to slap Harry, tell him to go back in the woods. Oh, man, that, that part then we always look sad every time. But this is a similar moment there because he loved these creatures. He, he, had, he had to... Let them go because the government totally sucks. Yes, sir. Can't even have fucking dolphins. Can't even have fucking dolphins. Um, this one you can find on a Kino Classics Blu-ray that came out recently. So if you're interested at all in watching The Day of the Dolphin, I, I highly recommend it because it's a beautiful film. It's, it's very simplistic. I mean, if you see the poster, you're like, wow, I'm so disappointed these dolphins didn't, like, you know, stick their fins in an assassin or something. No, it's, it's not about that. It's about them being highly trained creatures very noble and smart creatures and being exploited by, by, by our government. And George C. Scott doesn't want that. So kudos to that guy. So Day of the Dolphin and the Sadness are recommended. So it's, it's not horrible. Just the, the premise, if you look at the post, I blame the poster. I blame the poster for this. And if I could find it right here, and I think it is right here. Um, it's a ridiculous tagline to this movie. And, um, yeah, come on, dang it. Something about, uh, Oh my gosh! It's a scientific science fiction thriller, which is not okay. It's crazy, you know. New York Times says the day the dolphin takes uh, takes off like a blazing forest fire with a thrill a minute. It doesn't do that, but it's still enjoyable, you know. Don't be ridiculous reviews, man. Oh man! But I'll, I'll skip that. But yeah, you basically the, the poster gives you like this whole schmeal about oh did did I train dolphins to kill the president or something? It really hams it up, and this is a film that didn't deserve that, and it deserved, you know, which is on screen, which is them showcasing these creatures, and, you know, George C. Scott's love for these creatures, including he rides, there's an underwater scene, which probably isn't even him, probably a stuntman, where he's, like, in the water with the dolphins, and <laughs> it seems like he might be, like, dry-humping it a little bit, I don't know, I don't want to, I don't want to sully Day of the Dolphin, but... You guys should check it out. If anything, George C. Scott talks to dolphins in special languages. So go uh, go look for it for that reason. Not really streaming anywhere, though, which is um, which is off to me. They, they should fix that problem. Let's um, be able to buy it on iTunes or something. But uh, written by Buck Henry, of all people, uh, comedian Buck Henry. And like I said, Mike Nichols directed it. Go uh, check out his body of work if you don't know what that is. Da-da-da-da-da-da. That includes The Graduate, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, uh, The Birdcage, yeah, some good stuff in that in that mix. He did some Playhouse '90s too, which those are those are like old school like TV programs. Some of them are on YouTube. So I'd recommend you check those out. Good good dramas there. Um, Day of Dolphin though, I, I recommend it. Just like just like this dude the saddest but for whole different sentimental reasons. Um, next thing I want to bring up because I do, I watched something else this week that I you know you watch that this, these these films willingly. But they have an actress in there or an actor that you'll watch anything they're in, even if it's a giant fucking turd. Well, that's the reason why I watched The Hot Chick on Amazon Prime. This is a film in which Rob Schneider 
uh, through ancient uh, uh, Egyptian earrings, switches places with 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 the young Rachel McAdams is the first thing she's ever done. Who's like this uh, mean girl in high school, a cheerleader, you know? And um, he, he he has to live life as a man, but he's got the girl brain in him, and it's racially insensitive in parts, and, and problematic in parts, and there's gay panic everywhere. But you know who's in this movie that will watch at any movie? Uh, Anna Ferris is in this movie. I always find her charming as hell. And even, uh, on TV show Mom, her and Allison Janney were, were, were a perfect pair. And she's not on that show anymore. That show's uh, over with, I believe. Um, I've watched The House Bunny more than once because Anna Ferris is in it. I've watched that stinker, I think Scary Movie 3 was where it really started to suck ass for me. But she's in that. But I'll watch it because she's in it. Um, if you know an actress like this and, you know... You'll watch anything that they're in, and or just let us know on the group page, because I, I, I had to bring up the hot chick, because it's really stupid, but Anna Ferris, you know, t- takes that turn up a notch, I think. She, she always does. She, she She's always a winner to me, so, as an aside there. But, uh, yeah, on this show, uh, this very special, special show, you, you will hear myself, Bo Ransdell, Mr. Venom, Suzanne and Iris... Uh, I'll, I'll discuss the movie Best in Show uh, on the next review that you will hear. Uh, sandwiched in there, you will hear myself and Ricky Morton. Rick, Rick, I call him Ricky Morton again. He should be honored by this. I'm calling a member of the Rock and Roll Express. Ricky Morgan. We are going to do Cripple Theater once again with um, the amazing Mr. No Legs. And I, I, we'll, we'll get into why we, we, I should say, he should say the amazing Mr. No Legs. He is spectacular. Um, of that with Cripple Theater. And to close out the show, I'm looking forward to you guys hearing this. Um, we're gonna do a Mighty Wind, and these these two films, uh, spoilers, are probably my two favorite uh, in the CRISPR guest oeuvre, if you will. The ones I I go back to the most and get the most emotional with. Uh, yeah. So you'll hear that best in show review right to the trailer. Live from Philadelphia, it's the 125th annual Mayflower Kennel Club Dog Show. 3,000 dogs competing for best in show. To think that in some countries, these dogs are eaten. Cookie and I work as a team. We met at this dance. He didn't want to dance. I got two left feet. (laughs) I thought he was kidding. But I wasn't. I was born with two left feet. Beatrice has been showing signs of depression. Ever since she saw us having sex, what would you like to say to Beatrice right now? I'm sorry you've had to see that. I've been a hairdresser about 14 years. And I went to a show. I asked my ex-wife, who's that? She says, that's Scott. We got top loin, porterhouse, T-bone. We got everything. So basically, you know, meat. Leslie and I have an amazing relationship. People say, oh, but he's so much older than you. And you know what? I'm the one having to push him away. (laughs) We both love soup. The bloodhound not only has a great nose, but they can talk. What you doing, bloodhound doggy? What you doing? What you doing? And he's saying, I'm ready. That's when you know he's ready for a show. That goal is that best-in-show ribbon. Actually, oh. poodle means um, puddle in German. You want your busy bee? Come get your busy bee. Cut her out, if she doesn't get a door, she's going to flip out. It's not in here. You left it at the hotel. Go to the hotel and 
Get busy, me! That's my favorite, the miniature schnauzer. You'd think they'd want to breed them bigger, wouldn't you? Like grapefruits or watermelons. Don't look at the fat head losers or freaks. You look at me! He went after her like she's made out of ham. All right, folks, uh, it's that time again. This is uh, the first review of the night of the CRISPR guest uh, love fest, if you will. Um, people on this this uh, review, uh, I'll start going for, from left to right as I'm reading at the top there. Um, you guys may know him uh, from many, many things, including Pick 6 movies, uh, Duncan and Bo go to Monte Carlo, stuff like that. Um, Mr. Bo Brangela, how you doing, sir? Good, good. Uh, fresh, fresh back from Morocco. Man, uh, with Duncan, do some um, do some Hope and Crosby shit with you and Duncan. Come on, man, be be amazing. Yeah, yeah, I like to think that's kind of what that show is anyway. It's without the song and dance numbers, although there's a surprising amount of us singing. But uh, no, I, thanks for having me on this. I'm, I'm excited to talk about movie. Like I never get to talk about comedies, and uh, I'm a big big fan of you know the Christopher Guest oeuvre. You know, starting way back in the you know Spinal Tap days, I was you know I was I was a, a young man when I first discovered Spinal Tap, and um, there is something I I really love about that kind of brand of really wry, you know, obviously improvisational kind of comedy of just like we're gonna let an idiot talk into the camera for a minute and funny things are gonna come out of their mouths. Uh, so yeah, I, it, it's a real treat to talk about this stuff. Great. Uh, next in line, uh, Iris is here. How you doing, girl? I'm doing well. How y'all doing? Dandy. <laughs> dandy, dandy. Excellent. And also with us is Suzanne. How you doing, girl? Hi. That's my uh, talking about my fat cat and my big dogs, but I am doing really, really well, and I absolutely love these movies. I he surrounded himself with some of the best actors so um it's just fun to talk about these and finally last but certainly not, certainly not least um from many many things you'll hear in your ears because uh he's a podcasting horror much like myself you know mr venom's here how you doing sir greetings and salutations guestovian and yes i have coined that term because there is not an all-encompassing term for Christopher Guest fans. So if you are a Christopher Guest fan, you are a Guestovian, and you are one of my people. Good on you. I like it. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm going to start using it uh, as of this recording. Very cool. Make that stick, y'all. Uh, today, tonight, we're going to talk about Best in Show from the year 2000. Um, a, lot, a lot of the same cast you've seen in these other films, but... um. This is a, a film in which Crisper Guest and his cast of Zany characters um, apparently made a dog show from the ground up because they couldn't use a real one. And, uh, yeah, these people are all obsessed with their dogs. And this this this, this show, the the, the Mayflower uh, kennel show, uh, or whatever it's called, I forget what it's called, but this is Mayflower for sure. And um, they've all come together to uh, show their dogs off and show how crazy they are as dog people and... I will kick cast right now. Eugene Levy is back, and so is Catherine O'Hara as Jerry and Cookie Fleck. Uh, John Michael John Michael Higgins uh, makes his debut in these films as uh, Scott Do- Scott Domlin. I'm sorry. Uh, Michael McKeon's back as Stefan Vanderhoof, his his partner with the Shih Tzus. Uh, Michael Hitchcock is back again as Hamilton Swan. Parker Posey is back as Meg Swan. 
with the braces. We'll talk about that, I'm sure. Oh, my gosh. Uh, Jennifer Coolidge uh, makes her debut as Sherry Ann Cabot. Jane Lynch makes her debut as Christy Cummings. A lot of debuts. It's pretty cool. Uh, Chris Bergast is back again, of course, acting in his own movies as Harlan Pepper, the owner of The Hound, uh, and the master of nuts, apparently. Larry Miller's back, being fucking hilarious in this movie as well. Uh, Fred Willard, Ed Bagley Jr. shows up in this movie. Oh, Bob Balaban is back again. Oh, I, I, I have so much love for this film, but probably, you know, more than any other one. But I'm going to kick it to Bo first and, and ask him, uh, what do you think about this film, sir? Oh, I love this movie. In fact, it hasn't been that long ago that I watched it. I do a, a movie night eh, about once every month, six weeks, something like that at the house. I'm like, make a big dinner uh, for some friends of mine and I. And we watch a movie, uh, usually downstairs. I've got like a big 100-inch screen and projector and that kind of thing. So like, I really do it up. And it was within the last six months that we did Best in Show. Uh, I just adore it. I think it's incredibly funny. Um, there, the moment you see like the Eugene Levy high school picture, which happens fairly early on, but when he's talking about how he used to be a little bit of a Casanova himself and they show that picture and it is the most like off-putting, hilarious picture of any human being ever. I, I lose my shit. It is, it is one of my favorite like visual jokes ever um yeah they, i mean it's just one of those movies that every time you watch it there's some other little nook and cranny of it that will sort of tickle your funny bone uh which is uh i, I think a phrase first used by lawrence welk but there yeah it's just wonderful like it, it's just it's crammed with little subtle jokes and this time around watching it the other day in preparation for this I think it was because he passed away not so long ago, but just watching Larry Miller talking about working as, um, you know, a a hostage negotiator or crisis uh, counselor and saying, oh, that's, that's the thing. They all jump, you know, (laughs) it's, it's just hysterical. It's maybe my favorite, like accepting Spinal Tap, which I have a real soft spot for, but in terms of, uh, you know, the Gestovian, (laughs) <laughs> set of films <laughs> that i think this is my favorite be because i partly it's because i relate to it because i'm you know i i love dogs and i i don't go quite as far as although i would probably say i was in the harlan pepper range of dog ownership um but i i don't go so far as uh as some of the others but it like i like the fact that the movie also never punches down at these characters like it has a lot of affection for these people even as they're doing ridiculous things that it seems like christopher guest as the director as well as the actors who are kind of inhabiting these characters that they all have as, as silly as everything is there's still a lot of affection and joy and that kind of thing and i think it's hard to walk away from this movie, like feeling bad about people they're they're incredibly silly people, but they're also kind of wonderful and lovable i like the bookend of you know parker posey and her husband at the therapist and you know just what this therapist must be thinking of just like these stupid fucking that i am absolutely taken for a ride but even with that 
sorry, I'll shut up about it in a second. But even, even with that therapy stuff, like even that it, you kind of understand like, oh, they're not really talking about the dog. They're talking about themselves and their relationship. And, you know, that this movie is actually, you know, kind of getting at some stuff about, about the way that people use their dogs as surrogates for their own emotion and their own feelings. And like, it all, all comes down to Fred Willard being like, now do these dogs have any idea what's going on around them? And of course not, you know, that this is all for the people who own the dogs. And uh, it's, it's terrific, man. This movie is, is the absolute best. I love this movie. I forget what I was watching, but there was a comment somebody made about, you know, that dog's not wearing the sweater because he likes it. He's doing it to please you or something like that. He says, yeah, right yeah and 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 like his partner uh fred willard's you know the color com he's doing the color and the other guy's kind of the expert but the other guy having to kind of like well they know that they're special dogs i guess you know that it's just all this equivocation about you know this is of course it's purely for the owners these dogs couldn't give a shit less as long as they're getting you know food and pets they don't care so it's wonderful you know, because that, that, that head got caught in the gargoyle's mouth and it popped off like a grape, you know. <laughs> that reminds me of, do you remember when we were at the lake? Oh, God. I mean, dude, Eugene Levy trying to, uh, trying to get back at Larry Miller by saying, how about I just tell, talk about your wife and she's got big, luscious melon breasts and her reaction being like, thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's just the best. Like I said, everywhere you look at this movie, somebody is doing something. Oh my gosh. Uh, Suzanne. Oh God. <laughs> this is one of those movies that I end up going back to every few months. Just if I need, you know, basically it, it, it's comfort food for my brain. I, it, Bo nailed it. I mean, there's so many, even after numerous viewings, there's still like little things that always pop out and i think i i I love every character here but parker posey does some of my favorite things and the psychiatrist's office with beatrice the that poor dog i really feel bad for the dog because she is owned by two insane people and well, we got this book. And it's just the tone that she uses when she's telling this little story to their dog shrink. And Catherine O'Hara is just hilarious as Cookie. And I mean, I remember the first time I saw it and everyone's like, Cookie Guggenheimer? Is that you? I don't bang that many waitresses. I bang a lot of waitresses, but you were the best. And it just, it's just that continuous joke throughout the movie that just always makes me laugh in her. She would have won the Ministry of Silly Walks when she hurt her knee when they were showing Winky. And I, I just, you know, packing seven seven to ten kimonos for a two-day trip, that was... I packed ten pairs of shoes for four days, and I wore one pair. I, I understand the whole had to bring all of the kimonos. You just never know. Everybody in this movie was absolutely outstanding at what they bring to the table there is so much talent it's just overflowing in this movie and everybody gets their moment to shine it doesn't spend too much time on any character but everybody has their moments and 
I think Jane Lynch and Jennifer Coolidge are just funny. And just she does Jennifer Coolidge with that whole, well, they came in and took this poor little kennel and she's like, it's a shit box and brought it up to the state of the art facility. And, you know, Rhapsody has two mommies. I think the first time I saw this movie, I spit something all the way across the room when that happened. It was way too funny. And, you know, well, her and her husband, they do, they can talk or not talk all night. And they both love soup. Yeah, I was going to say, not to interrupt you, but when she says, we have a lot in common, I mean, we both love soup. (laughs) Just devastates me. Yeah. Oh, I know. We can talk and not talk all night. Yeah. I kind of got to there. We we both love snow peas. (laughs) But there's so many wonderful elements to this. And I I swear to God, I sometimes think I, I side more with the dogs, except Harlan Pepper's dog and winky those two those two dogs made they have got and oh yes vanderhoof and oh god i can't remember his name now scott doing calendars of iconic scenes from movies of the 40s and 50s it's just everybody they really took on these personas and brought the whole thing to life in a way there's very few filmmakers what we are custodians that very few filmmakers ever possibly could and i like the fact that he keeps it his cast fairly i mean just once again brimming with talent but it's he keeps everything on a manageable level but i just can't even say how much thank you mel how much i I love this movie cool uh venom next all right man what can i say about this movie that hasn't been this movie is near flawless um there's not a bad performance in this film Christopher Guest really knows how to pick his actors, you know, Um, incredibly funny people, but just the fact that they can ad lib, you know, three quarters of a film is spectacular. Um, I myself, for those who don't know, I probably mentioned it on the last Christopher Guest show, but I'm married to a veterinarian, uh, have been for, we just celebrated our 26th anniversary Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Um, So I love dogs. I mean, that's a given. I love animals in general. Um, And this movie just really speaks to me. Um, I've actually been to a dog show in Pittsburgh with my wife, like a a much smaller one, honestly. Nothing Westminster or Cruft's size, but um, just a great experience. And, you know, when I was talking about this movie on the last episode about these Christopher Guest movies and how they speak to me and how maybe Waiting for Guffman didn't speak to me as loudly as something like a Best in Show or a Mighty Wind and definitely not Spinal Tap as, you know, I am a big old metalhead. Um, it just kind of speaks to just the brilliance of um, Eugene and Christopher and, you know, how they're able to put this movie together and the, the people in this film, my God, it just just star after star after star with and the fact that he can bring in top name comedians to do like one line is just so epic i mean will sasso who yeah will sasso is not an a-list actor by any stretch but in the late 90s he was a big name because of his work in film and television to come in and do basically two lines and one of them being just one of the funniest goddamn deliveries in this film um it just so much quality in this film to speak of and and then the, the piece de resistance, the cherry on top of my spectacular comedy Sunday, Fred goddamn Willard is, I, I'm sorry, Fred Willard is a goddamn treasure. 
he makes this movie at least the dog show part of this film so incredibly entertaining who else can do color commentary at a dog show and bring up countries that eat dogs and be completely oblivious to it and get away with it i, I i'm sorry just it, it is stellar may that man hold a high seat in valhalla because he fucking deserves it um, but I mean, like I said, what else can be said about this film? Bob Balaban, potentially one of the best straight men in history, in film history. I mean, the, the fact that he's not even trying to be funny and somehow he tickles me in every scene he's in, just, uh, it just speaks to the comedic genius that's just oozing off of this film from, you know, so many sources, writing, directing, performances, even the songs. Oh my God, the songs. God loves a terrier? Come on now. I would imagine God loves all dogs, but still to have to hear that song about God loving one species of dog, just, or one breed of dog, excuse me, um, just absolutely stellar. The songs that Cookie um, and her husband sing at the end too, when they're recording the album, just... Oh my God, so great. And, you know, unlike, um, excuse me, unlike the Cabots in this movie, my wife and I actually do run out of things to not talk about. So it does turn into a little bit of a problem in our marriage, but it's okay. Someday we'll have that ability to not talk about all sorts of topics. And that's when I'll know we've made it as a married couple. But yeah, I, I, this movie, my God, uh, just an absolute 10 out of 10. Oops, sorry. I'm, I'm, it's a spoiler, sorry. But uh, just, I adore this film. I honestly, as I've said on the last episode, I, I love Christopher Guest. Anything he's done, I will happily consume. And this run of movies from Waiting for Guffman to um, For Your Consideration, just, oh my God, some of, the, some of the most stellar comedic films, uh, you know, put together in a row from a writer-director. Mm -hmm. So yeah, uh, just a stellar film that I will never, ever get sick of. I just watched it last night and <laughs> big surprise, watched it for probably the 50th time, still ended the night with a stomach ache. I was laughing so goddamn hard. So yeah, spectacular. Iris. Uh, just to jump in on what you said about Fred Willard, when she's judging and she goes, the, the female judge, she goes up and like cups one of the dog's balls. And he's like, oh God, I wouldn't want to go on a date with her. I'm afraid of how she judged me. <laughs> when, when he's speaking of Bob Balaban, when he's interviewing Bob Balaban and is talking to him about like the Mayflower landing in the West Indies, <laughs> like, well, I, 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 I don't think that's right. Yeah, well, we'll leave that to the editors. They'll clean that up in the in the office. But, oh my god! He, like, as soon as this movie starts to lull even the slightest bit. Fred Willard shows up and just hits the booster rockets mm -hmm. and makes the back end of this even funnier than the front. 100%. Mel, don't you? Iris. Well, for me, this is uh, my favorite of the guest movies. Um, it's a barrel of laughs. <laughs> um, just Catherine O'Hara and Eugene, Eugene Levy. When <laughs> the card, the fucking credit card. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah, it is, right? Wait, wait, like two notices. You, you tell them it's two notices. And, well, he says it's been two notices. <laughs> and then they start pulling cash out. It's like $34. <laughs> I mean, like, but then again, I mean, the dude is so nice by just taking them and going, well, you know, we can bring a cot in here and you can spend the night and which is basically the room that he already gave you a tour of 
where all the cleaning stuff is because they know they're going to have dogs, which is another great bit because you have the nature's miracle bottle for the smaller dogs. And then, you know, this huge lemon X for, you know, the great Danes and then the nuclear power that, that, that whole bit right there is hilarious. And of course, when uh, Parker Posey is, <laughs> I think Venom and I talked about this last time. Um, <laughs> she starts accusing the maid of taking the toy i'm gonna bring ins blah, blah, blah. <laughs> oh god she was oh, a karen before the term was coined right right <laughs> it was great I, that's not a bee that's a parrot right it's just oh my gosh it's just so so funny and um of course you know uh how can you not love uh scott and um vanderhoof you know it's they play off of each other so fucking well and the way he carries himself and he's he reminds me of that inappropriate twink that a bear would have is basically (laughs) it you know having to rein them in a little bit like haha you're funny yeah you're cute you just calm down a little bit but it's just fucking hilarious just the things he says like the the poor butcher guy (laughs) so in other words me (laughs) but he's like why don't you pull out a pepperoni stick (laughs) i just want to hold it (laughs) (laughs) and this poor guy stared at him like wait what are you like (laughs) oh my god and just all of his comments are just beautiful and lovely and i agree with agree with suzanne um cookie fleck when she busts her her ankle or knee or whatever (laughs) <laughs> the way she's fucking walking when, when, when they've already won and she's trying to get to her husband <laughs> oh my god oh shit I, I was uh, oh my god I was cracking up I'm sitting in the office and I'm cracking up and I know Lynn can hear me and she's probably thinking what the fuck is she watching in there but yeah and, and you know what I've had her sit down and watch this movie with me and yeah, she kind of just stares at me sometimes when I'm laughing at some shit because, or even before stuff happens, you know, because Venom, I'm sure, you know, you know, something funny is coming and you already, you're laughing already because you're already thinking of it. <laughs> like uh, Sasso, when he's, when he's talking to them and he's like, so are you going to stop and fish? And he's like, uh, no, I, we're not fishing. His character is so funny. And Sasso is on the screen mm. for like what maybe three or four minutes and this guy is hilarious um he used to play on something on a show here in Seattle uh it was kind of like uh Saturday Night Live but the mad, t- mad, mad TV. TV yeah yeah well no even before mad TV it was just here based in Seattle itself and um Bill Nye the science guy was also on it but it and it's it's like an old show and I this guy used to correct me all the fucking time and even on Matt TV he was hilarious but yeah this whole movie in itself I just love how tongue-in-cheek it is even though and you know it's kind of like Willard is asking those questions that you know you kind of have when you are watching a dog show because I like to watch dog shows and I, I do have those questions like well you know why do they do this or why do they tuck them here or why do they pull them there or why do they pick them up by their tail and 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 throw it's you know it just it was just funny to watch because it's kind of like 
here's this guy, Fred Willard, who is, you know, just dude off the street. And he's paired up with Pepper, who is obviously a British, very well, you know, very proper type of guy. <laughs> Kudos to him about not breaking, well, from what we saw, what's been edited, um, he did not crack up. Every time Willard opened his mouth, man, because I do, every time. is So it's, it's hilarious. It's funny. It's really out there, but it kind of like, it also feels homey. Like these are people that you either have in your circle of friends or coworkers. So that, I think that's why it's just so intriguing, but yeah, that's, that's my two cents. No, this, this film is filled with a lot of little things. Like you guys mentioned the part <laughs> where they're at the, the party and um, Harlan is talking to them to, to Parker Posey and her husband about flies and they can give a fuck about fishing whatsoever. So they just look at you're gonna fall asleep standing there. I he just keeps going. I, I, I had to break the tension by asking him what he was wearing. <laughs> so uh, what was is that J Crew? Let me let me look. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so well, J Crew is their kind of their their thing. An yeah, entire relationship people. based on catalogs. My God. I I love that whole scene where they're talking about the first time they saw each other, and you can see in that scene that they're they're just totally like playing tennis of like, oh, remember that we were in the Starbucks, and it's it's just watching them yes and each other through that scene until they get to, and then we would just go in, into the Starbucks and we would look at the catalog, and I would ask you what's new. Like and and you would pick out the things that were new in that that edition of the catalog, and you can tell that this is just them completely improving all of it. And and uh, you know, like you were saying, it, the fact that they don't lose their shit is a skill unto itself. You know, it's one thing to invent that stuff; it's another thing entirely to not not lose your focus and just crack up. And and another, you know. Uh, the, the one thing that's interesting because you have a gay couple and kind of a lesbian couple, even though it doesn't begin that way, but it's kind of, you know, clear that Jane Lynch is into her and it, for it being a movie in the year 2000, like, yes, yeah, Scott's kind of, you know, like Iris said, like this ridiculous tweet character, but it doesn't treat those relationships any differently than any other relationship in the movie. And it's weird not weird, but I mean, it's just kind of nice to see that the movie doesn't have a stance on that. It's not, there was nothing political about it, I suppose. It's just kind of like for a movie that is 20 years old, it's strangely progressive in the way that it treats gay and lesbian characters of just like, oh yeah, that's just, yeah, let's who they are. It's no big you know, And vice versa too, you know, because at the same, the same party scene, you know, Jerry meets our gay couple and, they're just in love with this fucking square, this white bread square that they met. And, you know, he's getting right in the mix with them. He's describing, <laughs> again, so much little shit, the, the the red stitching he did himself on those pants. You know, and uh, it's just, it's, 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 it's crazy. Everyone here is like, who did that? You did? It's, oh, it, it, uh, watching this again, it was one of those, because uh, I, I don't think I'd watched it since I watched all of Shit's Creek. And it was fun to see, uh, like, oh, yeah, they're 
playing in completely different characters together. It's like they they've been doing this for so long. They're you know it's no wonder that it's as good as it is. It's not a you know Gestovian film, but it is certainly in the ballpark. Because Cookie uh, had dozens of boyfriends, hundreds hundreds of boyfriends yeah. at once. <laughs> and she's so deadpan when she says it. Hundreds. Oh. Every time it happens, though, like and I think it's it's at the the par- same party scene. To where she, he met another one of Cookie's ex-boyfriends, and he just has that that head tilt down, like he's just so crestfallen, like another one, another one, seriously, you know, and a, a guy who, yeah, a guy who, uh, on the way to the dog show, was gonna stop at the Philadelphia Cream Cheese Factory just to go visit it. He, he's he's that white bread. He's he's gonna do that, and you know, um. Oh man, it's funny standing here and listening to us talk about this really speaks to the brilliance of the ad libs here because I don't know if anybody's noticed, but we've spent half this review just quoting the movie. Oh. I've never done that as a podcaster, and I am having an absolute blast. It's hard not to. It's hard not to. Exactly. You know, it's hard not to. Comedy gold, my friend. Now, between this and Spinal Tap, I swear I've had conversations in this language. <laughs> I mean, the, the little, little, again, you guys mentioned Will Sasso. When he's, they're still driving away, he's still convincing to go fishing. He's, he's gawking at the dog saying, who's going to catch a big fish? Who's going to catch a big fish? I, and it's just, he plays these characters and I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll endorse this film, but not as if it's a good film. But if you haven't seen that Three Stooges film just for their performances, I, I think you should do yourself a favor because Will, Will Sasso is curly in that movie and... It's kind of wonderful. Um, I can I, I can make uh, a couple of friends of mine laugh just by saying peanut nut. Yeah. It, so can, can we? Oh, I sorry sorry about. Go ahead and finish. No no no. I was just gonna name another nut. That's all. <laughs> He's driving Macadamia his mama crazy. Nut. What pistachio nut? <laughs> a macadamia oh, nut. Uh, <laughs> That's so the good. Good. I mean We're crazy. Uh, Ultimately, Harlan Pepper is an expert on hounds, fly fishing, and nuts. And really, what else is there? And, and ventriloquy. Oh, yeah. yes. Well, that's, oh, a, that's a new talent, that. though. He's yeah. developing that one. Yeah. Yeah. So, can we talk about how beautiful the relationship between the actors and the dogs were? Absolutely, yeah. Because, in a way, you know, at first I thought, um, are these actual their dogs? But they're not. They are actual Canadian champions. Um, they belong to other people. And of course, the judges, some of the judges uh, were actual judges there. Um, of course, except for the very last judge. Uh, <laughs> and it, it's kind of interesting to see that relationship they had with the dogs. It's, it's almost like that dog belonged to them. And I, it always amazes me every time I see and watch this movie especially the shih tzus and wink it's almost like they're bonded and I'm sure at the end of the filming of this that the actors had a hard time saying goodbye to those dogs because it it, it just looked like the relationship that they they had a true relationship with that dog and and I kind of wonder if they kind of like maybe borrowed the dog for a while and had the you know had the actors and the dogs kind of like live together and stuff so they could develop that bond but i don't know i thought i think it's always amazing to watch well i feel bad for the the dog 
Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, no, just I'll, it's very quick. But I think the way that they paired the dogs with the actors. Yeah, that's because, another thing. I mean, you could not. I mean, with Parky, Parker Posey and her husband, they have got the most neurotic dog. <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I feel bad for Beatrice. I, I, I couldn't live <laughs> in that house either. Oh, my God. Right. And then okay. there's a down to earth wink that he's yeah. so cute. And then the, oh, well, Annie. Hubert is like the, his buddy. I mean, that is seriously, this is a pair. These are two mm-hmm. buddies. They go fishing, they go hunting, they go for walks. They go, it's a companion. Right, it's a down-to-earth dog, just like he is. And then, of course, you've got the flamboyant Shih Tzus. Oh, I know. And the and, flamboyant and, couple. <laughs> and they, those dogs are just as flamboyant as they are. And exactly. It's, it's, and then the fancy schmancy poodle. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right. standard poodle mm-hmm. yeah so yeah i mean it always amazed me how well these dogs were paired up with the actors and and just how how it looks like it was you know it was like actually their dog so and you know kudos to the actors too because they had to be trained on how to handle these dogs so you know i a lot went into this movie and you could really tell that you know these folks that were in this movie these actors everybody just really put a lot of heart in this and it's just such a amazing little movie that you know just makes you laugh crack up you kind of get emotionally invested in some of the creatures with some of the creatures well yeah some of the dogs and also with uh some of the characters in here i just think it was random stupid thing that i always found kind of it's like i said completely random completely stupid but when they were at the dog show and they were talking about the different breeds they managed to slide Borzoi in because it must somebody must have had fun saying Borzoi because we well, kept talking it, about the Borzoi. Right, right. And well, didn't somebody mention oh I think it was Scott who was saying that when he met uh Vanderhoof uh that or, or Stefan that I yeah. like Scott's dog was doing Having something to a Borzoi. <laughs> 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 Oh boy, <clears throat> yeah, I love I love this film quite a bit. I haven't said a whole lot about it, but a lot of folks said a lot about it, and that, that that's fine. But um, I I can relate to to Jerry Flex so much, not as a trophy husband, you know, but I, I've known guys like him, and I, I'm pretty milk toast myself, pretty simple myself, you know. I'm kind of a, a cross between him and and Harlan, I would say. Um, if I had another dog, though, it would be that Norwich Terrier. I always like small dogs, and I don't know if you notice this or not, but when uh, Darla, who's, uh, you know, I'm going to start crying now. <laughs> I can't do that, though. Um, don't, don't cry, because I'm going to cry. I know. But when I first got her groomed, you know, because she was a big old floof ball mess, I said, I'm going to hold this dog up by Jerry Fleck at the end of this movie. And, and I did. And uh, <laughs> I was so happy to do that, you know. It's just, oh, so cool. oh my gosh. Uh, I I like when Fred Willard describes the sports dogs as the jocks of the dog world (laughs) even I mean even Fred Willard's um, non sequiturs just work so well in the middle of commentating on a dog show he turns to his partner and says hey want to guess how much I can bench (laughs) what (laughs) what does that have to do with anything and you're saying this on live television wow Go, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Just just take a wild guess. 358. Uh, and 510 pounds 
deadlift. Deadlift. Oh, so good. Uh, yeah, it, it, I mean, it, and, you know, like we were talking about with the, the dogs kind of being the reflection of their owners and kind of looking like them in a lot of ways. Uh, it really is a nice comment about, like, the role that dogs play in our lives and if you know if i mean i i think most of us here are dog owners and if you've got a dog or had a dog you know um then it's like it it's just one of those things that like you you will do crazy shit for your dog and the dog doesn't know it like i sing no less than two different kinds of songs to my dog when i'm feeding him couldn't care less (laughs) Like that dog doesn't care, but I'm like appropriating songs from the musical, the producers as, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, I will definitely sing it's treat time for Johnson and Germany in a heartbeat. And, and you know, it means nothing to him, but it brings me a lot of joy. And I think that's kind of the, the thing about this movie is, you know, like for Harlan to put his dog in the, in his, in the pickup truck and drive him to this show um it's you know it it, like there is something kind of wonderful about that idea of like yeah i would love to just get in the car and just drive around with my dog at a place where a bunch of other cool dogs are gonna be that sounds like a great time and and i think it's one of the it's one of the reasons i think this movie works so well is that as the viewer even as ridiculous as the characters are, there is something that you can like relatable in those characters. And also there's a little bit of wish fulfillment too, that yeah, it's all nonsense, but you know, I mean, if you got to do something with your life <laughs> and, and, you know, treating your dog uh, like over well is not the worst choice you can make. Yeah. This movie also has, in my opinion, some of the strongest post-event scenes in a Christopher Guest movie or the, what are they doing now? If you will, I brought it up during waiting for Guffman because I, I talked about how some of the, what are they doing now scenes and waiting for Guffman are a little sad, especially like Parker Posey and um, a Christopher Guest character. This one, ah, so funny and triumphant. I mean, even the people that lost still found a way to get a win out of this. You know, one couple starts a magazine, another couple shoots a calendar, um, another couple, well, the winning couple records an album, you know? So just, it it leaves you with such a good feeling, this movie. Whereas Waiting for Guffman leaves me a little sad sometimes when I walk away from it. This one, no, ear to ear grin as I'm walking away from this film, knowing that, everybody including the shitty swans even they are in a better situation at the end of the movie you know they've got themselves a new dog who apparently doesn't mind watching them have sex so you know <laughs> oh, he likes to it. watch yeah, yeah. Yeah, so. and hunting the doctor yeah, <laughs> of course. So, oh, you know. how else would you end a christopher guest movie than having a dog <laughs> hump a psychiatrist come on there you go <laughs> so have we talked about how the manager of the hotel mentioned the rock band hosting yeah. a goat. It's yeah. a universe. It's a multiverse. <laughs> it, is, it is. It is. It is. The fact that he refers to it as this, the smell of roasted goat and cumin. And cumin. <laughs> cumin is what, what sells me on that joke the most. Oh, so good. <laughs> well, apparently their drummer got reincarnated as a hotel manager. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he was one of their original drummers. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, eagle-eyed fans, um, you will remember that the Taft Hotel is where Spinal Tap stayed when they stopped in Philadelphia uh, during their film. And uh, oh my god, 
Oh, what a beautiful, beautiful connection. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so now we have the, the Gastopian. There you go. The, the Gastopian, Gastopian universe. <laughs> the Gastoverse. Yep. I like it. Oh, man. <laughs> Except that, that, you know, people play like five different characters in the, in the Gastoverse. So, yeah, that could get confusing. Who is Catherine <laughs> O'Hare in the Gastoverse? Hmm. Uh, Doctor Strange in the Gastoverse of Madness. There you go. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Yeah, I just saw a commercial for that. <laughs> Does oh. it look good? I don't watch trailers. <laughs> well, I'm I assume... part of it. There's lots and lots of flashy lights and Benedict Cumberbatch, and that's pretty much as all I got out of it because. Oh. So it's a Marvel movie. There you go. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> eh, Sam Raimi's doing it though. I'm gonna give it to Dan Gord. Oh, that's true. There. Yeah, but he did. Oh, oh no, no, my bad. I'm yeah. thinking of the, the Aquaman. <laughs> yeah. No, he did Spider-Man two, and Spider-Man two rules. Oh, Spider-Man awesome. 2 is still one of the best superhero movies. Ever. Oh, for sure. By far. Oh, Alfred Molina. Oscar worth. Yeah. <laughs> still good in No Way Home, as it turns out. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but, uh... And then the last thing I, I can say about uh, this movie is just the fact that we've got a little bit of Twin Peaks cred in here, too. Anyone who knows me might know Twin Peaks is my favorite TV show of all time. And to see Major Briggs be the judge in the best in show category, just it tickles me. Even though he has like all of four words, not even whole lines, just a few words here and there. It, for whatever it's worth, it, it makes me happy. So yeah, I felt yeah, I felt the same way. I was like, oh, they need to have like the picture of his face floating, yes, you know, wavily over, or show the log lady in the audience somewhere. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> My log likes that dog. <laughs> I'll kick it to kick it back to Bo. Um, anything else have to say? And what do you give it one to ten? Oh man, um, I I think this is a solid nine out of ten for me. Uh, I it, it's hard to find fault with it uh, in in the grand scheme of things. You know, there there are little moments here and there that I feel like, oh well, this is just a thread that kind of goes nowhere. But that's kind of the nature of these improvisational movies um but that said like i find it ridiculously funny i think it's it's strangely sweet. um i love you know uh meg and uh what is what is her husband's name parker Poser. my I, yeah they're they're matching outfits <laughs> and the fact that even at the end of the movie when they're dressed strangely not unlike the parrot toy um <laughs> It's got the same kind of color scheme, but yes. they color coordinate with one another. Um, I think is a really funny bit. And the fact that they both have braces and everything like that couple is such a disaster of a couple, but I can't get enough of it. I would watch an entire movie just about their day-to-day -day life. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it, it's, it's really funny. It's really sweet. It, it is outside of Spinal Tap. It is absolutely my favorite in, in the, the Guestiverse. And uh, <laughs> I, I, I cannot... I, I cannot say enough great things about it. like if if someone is listening to this has never seen best in show it's it doesn't like it's not bombastic or anything it doesn't go for gut laughs it just consistently really really funny and it's anchored by some of the best comedians that have ever worked and is seeing them all together in this particular film is just a joy especially because some of them are gone now and and seeing this movie it's like man what a what a wonderful testament the work that they did it's so good iris sorry i was muted um uh yeah no for me this is i mean this is me this is the most favorite guest movie uh for me and 
I mean, I could sit and watch this uh, even twice a day, I think, and I would still crack up laughing. And, and it's not just that, <laughs> that's funny. No, I was literally laughing out loud while I was watching this movie. And every time I will do it. And like I was saying before, you know, I know that certain scenes are coming and I will start giggling even before the gag happens. So yeah, this movie's a six. I mean, a 10 out of 10 for me. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot what show I was on. <laughs> Venom. Um, man, absolutely love this movie. Uh, this is a movie that I could probably never watch with someone who's never seen it before because as Iris said, I would just start laughing before the gags even started. And then the person with me would end up missing half of me because of my loud ass laughter. So yeah, um, what a testament to this thing. The fact that I, I just watched this last night, as I said, again, for the hundredth time. And I, you know, the, it, it still gets me every time. Every joke is on point. Even the ones that maybe fall a little bit flat, you still let out a tiny little chuckle because deep down inside, you know, this is ridiculous and it's very, very funny. Um, as I mentioned, probably the best post-event or what are they doing now scenes of the series. Whether I can call this my favorite or not is a tough one. Um, on the last episode when we did Waiting for Guffman, I said A Mighty Wind is my favorite. The thing is, is that with those two movies, A Mighty Wind and Best in Show, my favorite is just whatever the one I most recently saw is because they just, they, they entertain me to no end. Um, so I'll have to watch A Mighty Win like really, really soon just to really lock down finally which one is my favorite. But I mean, it's definitely between those two. Um, I am a musician. So anything they do involving music like Spinal Tap and um, A Mighty Wind is going to speak to me. Uh, obviously, you know, the love of animals and being married to a vet. Uh, dog, uh, you know, Best in Show is going to speak to me, my love of uh, film and television. So, um, you know, the one of the last ones they did, I think it was called For Your Consideration, uh, another one that I really like. So for me, I actually said 10 out of 10 earlier. I'm going to amend that just a little bit. And I'm going to come in with a 9.5 only because Parker Posey was being racist to that hotel employee. <laughs> Who's left? Well, Suzanne. Oh, I love this movie. And I... I agree. I, between this and A Mighty Wind, it is usually the one that I've seen most recently that is my favorite, but the two movies are just perfect. But this one, there just there's so many little strings throughout the movie that you don't realize are there. And it's the, the characters. And yes, I sing silly songs to my dogs all the time. I come up with ridiculously stupid nicknames for both of them. Right now, I was really tired. I wasn't sure who I was yelling at. I've got Naya and Nara, and it came out Naira. <laughs> so now, when I don't know who I'm yelling at, I just call Naira. So one of them knows they're in trouble. But the way that he interacts, it's oh, uh, this movie is just it's it, it's it's damn near perfect. And it's it you're right. It's not straight up belly laughs throughout the entire movie. It's it's subtle humor. But after you've seen it a few times, you know what's coming. And I would I, I would be the same way. I just start laughing because I know what's going to happen. And side note on Will Sasso, he was in a movie, I think it was called, I want to say Drop Dead Gorgeous with Denise yes. Richards. And oh, once again, it's a terrific just, movie. Yeah. Love it. A, he only had a few lines, but he's literally the same guy. But in Drop Dead Gorgeous, he's just a little more perverted. <laughs> 
But I just, I do, I adore this movie. And I'll quit talking now. I'm, I honestly, I can't go any lower than a 10. It's, there's just too much here to love. And there's, I can't say, I can't say that there's anything in there that makes me look down upon it at all. So it's going to get my, my rare 10 out of 10. Um, Yeah, I got to mention, you know, how how good our newcomers are in this movie. Because, you know, Jane Lynch, who's not, not an unknown at this point, I don't think. Or well, she's pretty unknown. She hasn't done much since then. But she she started waiting for Guffman. That's what made her want to be in this movie. And John Michael Higgins um, is under underutilized as a comedian, I think, because he's in this. He shows up in a Mighty Wind, which I think he's better in, because he could, he shows his prowess as a musician and and a singer in that movie too. And um, just underutilized as an actor. I I, I love him in everything I've ever seen him in. I'm I'm a sucker for Fred Claus with with, with Vince Vaughn and Paul Giamatti. He's in that movie. Um, just uh, great, and it, it's a great film all around. If you're a dog person at all, you're gonna love this movie. If you love anything that we we said on this episode, you're gonna love this movie. I enjoy it every time I fucking watch it, every minute of it. So I I, I gotta give it a ten out of ten. I, I love it that much. So yeah. You know, speaking of pet names, uh, one of my favorite things to do is to give overly elaborate names to to my pets. You know, oh like God. And uh, so when I got J- Johnson was a rescue, the the dog I've got now, and which always sounded very formal to me. Um, although I think it's because he's got kind of a big dick. I think that's why he was named that. <laughs> she does. It's kind of distracting, but. Uh, <laughs> But uh, so the na- the overly elaborate name I've given him is Johnson Presbyterian Barkington the third, and that and, and so that's how I sign his name and stuff at doctor you know the vet offices and so forth. And oh, so every too, yeah. and every now and again I'll you know you'll get the notice of like oh it's time for Johnson Presbyterian Barkington the the third's <laughs> new round of anti worm medicine and it hey. oh it delights me to know it. Oh, it, it's it's you know no more exotic than excels desi does it with pizzazz which was rhapsody in white yeah, yeah. oh that's so good <laughs> oh so my good. naya my oldest is naya lathotep sheldon cooper capoletti because you know lovecraft and from the time she was a puppy if if one of the cats if one of us were in her spot she would sit there and start barking oh she'll let you know so that's how the sheldon cooper got attached to it and Nara, I had a great name picked up because like, no, I want them to match. So we have Nara instead of something really cool. So of course I named her Black Nara Nihilathotep, which is always fun too. How do you pronounce that? Nara. My one cat that I had before we, we lost him, unfortunately, in the fire was uh, named Major Mittens Thunder Pussy McGillicuddy. Very nice. That was, that was, <laughs> that was her whole name. And Duchess's whole name is Duchess Furiosa O'Shaughnessy. So that's, that's, uh, I, I like to give them elaborate names too. I didn't name Darla, but, um, she was just Darla. And, uh, that was my friend. I missed that. God damn, I, I gotta stop doing this, but, um. I know. I'm gonna end this now. Just put it that way. Uh, thank you all for being on here. And, uh, we'll be right back with something else. Now here's something we hope you'll really like. You are about to see scenes from an unusual film about an amazing man. Ah! 
blame Andy for not wanting to take a leave of absence, can we, sir? Well, under the circumstances, would you? Not until after I got the killer, sir. <laughs> Something else for you to take care of. This man who called me. I don't have to beat him up, I just pay him money. Says there's a leak in your territory. Mr. No Legs. Don't miss it. Hello, folks. Welcome back once again to the Crippled Theater. I am one guy on the show, but the other guy, I say, right next to me. But I'm looking at him to the right of me on my screen, so that's good enough. <laughs> uh, well, not good enough for him to be here, be here. That'd be awesome. But uh, yeah. Ricky, Ricky Morgan is here. How you doing, sir? Great, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm sitting here shaving off my big bushy eyebrows, even though I'm blind and I can't see. But, you know, we're going to talk about another movie. <laughs> that pushes the boundaries of the little engine that could. It, it, it has at least 30% less eyebrows on the thing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking about the movie you heard the trailer, uh, Mr. No Legs, or the amazing Mr. No Legs, which, you know, mm-hmm. which to chair is the least impressive thing about him, in my opinion. But yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. <laughs> uh, your cheapo plot synopsis is heads roll as two cops, Chuck and Andy, go against Mr. D'Angelo, the biggest drug dealer in Florida. And his ruthless enforcer, Fred, who has no legs, but does have two mean double-barrel shotguns built into his wheelchair. Uh, the stars... <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, what else you need? <laughs> what else you need, man, exactly, right? Uh, the stars Richard Jekyll as as Chuck and uh, former former professional wrestler Ron Slinker. I'm not sure what he came out as, as his partner Andy hmm. in this movie. Uh, Lloyd Bachner as, as D'Angelo, your drug dealer. And, um... We're gonna find the guy's name. is pretty, pretty important. Uh, Rance Howard shows don't up as Rance. Can't forget Rance. Don't forget your Rance, man. You know, <laughs> Rance Howard as Lou, one of the subordinates of Mister D'Angelo, and um, starring Ted Bullrath as Mister No Legs in this movie. And he's impressive. I, I, I got, I got to get into that right now. Why he's so sure. impressive? Because he, he, um, he does some martial arts in this movie, and it, it looks strange in, 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 in our eyes, thinking like, like it's, it's all a work. But this guy. Was was the real deal um, in so many ways. Um, fought in the Korean War, uh, lost both of his legs there, and, and, and uh, I'd imagine some kind of you know fatal things that happened to his legs. I imagine he got shot terribly or blown up terribly. One of the two. It doesn't say all that at IMDb. Figured it's probably a mine or something. You know. Yeah. You, you think about you know losing 
both legs like that, then yeah, I mean, but yeah, come on, this this dude's bad. But um, didn't stop him though. Um, began training in martial arts in 1967. It was the first person to earn a black belt in karate while training out of a wheelchair. Uh, eventually became grandmaster and acquired black belts in several different styles of martial arts. And uh, 1971, he founded the Martial Arts School for the Handicapable Incorporated, uh, organization organization dedicated to teaching the martial arts to disabled people. And I, you know, to be in this oddity and for him to be, you know, the real deal is, um, it, it doesn't hurt it. It, it helps me. It, right. Yeah, here we go. While serving in the Marine Corps, his legs got shattered by an enemy mortar shell in 1952 during a battle mm-hmm. near Inch, near, near uh, Incheon, Korea, when he was only 18. Uh, 13 years later, uh, his legs were finally taken off. But um, wow. yeah, thank you for your, thank you for your service and service in this movie, sure. sir. Because uh, wow. you elevated this donkey. <laughs> I'll give you that. <laughs> sure. Well, and and again, of course, I didn't know any of the the backstory stuff that you were talking about here. So I mean, come on. That's that's even greater than the fact that this movie has him in it doing what he does. The fact that he <clears throat> challenged himself to push himself beyond what you know. I'm sure people said, "No, nah, you can't do that." And for him to fund his own martial arts school, that's pretty crazy. That's nice, man. Yeah, that's awesome. This is directed by Riku Browning, which if you don't know that name, <laughs> he is the one in the Creature from Black Lagoon that does the swimming scenes yeah. as the creature. He's, he's the only creature, man. He's like the only living one that there is. So if you don't, if you don't have uh, something from him, he's like ninety something years old. So he's still, uh, he's still with us. And this is uh, written with his uh, apparently this 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 guy Jack Cowden, the writer, and Riku Browning created Flipper. I had no idea. Yeah. But um. Yeah, yeah he dir- he direct he was the director of Flipper. <laughs> I mean, I and, I, wa- and I watched a few he episodes. Did work on Gentle Ben too. Oh, nice. I watched a few episodes here and there of Flipper, but Gentle Ben wasn't because um, they played him on, on Nickelodeon when I was younger, younger. But they didn't show a lot of Gentle Ben on Nickelodeon, unfortunately. <laughs> Who doesn't love that? A man is bare. Come on, man. I mean, the transition of I'm the creature to Flipper to Mr. No Legs. I mean, you can you can see that transition, right? Oh, totally. Yeah. Maybe the, <laughs> the Flipper to the to the creature thing, but not not so much the the other. But you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah. This movie it it it, it, it takes place in a CD, whatever you want to call it. You know, you got these two cops, one of which has a sister who's who's in college. Uh, hanging out with some some freaking degenerates that that that's in some drugs. This this um this this movie starts with somebody rolling cocaine pills inside cigars or something. I don't know what's going on in this movie with the drugs. Yeah. But um yeah. he of, he of course you know tries to tries to play a game with Mister D'Angelo. You know get, getting himself in trouble and actually kills his girlfriend, which is Andy's sister and. This sets all this into motion, uh, along with um, Mr. D'Angelo's enforcer. Had nothing to do with their death, but, you know, there's a guy in a wheelchair who has guns attached to his wheelchair. He, he could fire at any time, I guess. It's, I guess that's the least impressive yeah. thing about yeah. him, you know. <laughs> D- D- double barrel shotguns, but he's got these armrests on it, and he hits the switch, and the armrests drop down, and it exposes these two double barrel shotguns, and he just starts... <laughs> <laughs> which it's it's fun you know if you watch like stuff like um those italian westerns where they have the gadgets right. and stuff like i think it's uh the, um like django not, not django but um R- ringo i think it is is a series well, django had the 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 big the big gun in the coffin yeah yeah that? yep 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 yeah stuff like that you know they're to use they use later in other films it's a neat little gadget you know 
I, I do yeah. enjoy it. But you're right. I mean, it's it's not the most impressive thing, but you got to remember, what year is this? 76? 70, um, do, 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 78. There you go. 78. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was all about, you know, how, you know, just doing something different, right? So for this guy to have gadgets on a, on a wheelchair, you know, you've probably never seen that before. Yeah. So, so they're in this investigation and they're, you're wondering, uh, why, why did they, why she, she would do this because she's set up to have an overdose. But the dumbasses that didn't know how forensics work, they could they put the drugs in her system like a, uh, an hour after she died. Like they're not gonna notice this. You know? <laughs> it's like, oh no, she's on the smack, but not really. <laughs> she died anticipating the drugs hitting her system. Yes. So terrified, the needle jumped into her vein after she died, and said, "Okay, there you go." Yeah. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Yeah, this film is also known as Gunfighter. I forgot to mention that, which is more, which is as accurate as Mister No Legs. We'll get into that in a little while. Yeah. <laughs> um, I got to mention Richard J- Richard Jekyll's car in this movie. Oh I, yeah. I think it's some kind of orange Camaro, but yeah, for 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 some reason they took on any you know identifiable tags off of the car, including the grill. It, it looks like a kit car, unfortunately. Yeah, it's but, definitely a Camaro, but still pretty badass. Yeah. yeah, it's bright orange, almost like the uh, the '76 gas stations. You know that old emblem, the the big round circle that said '76, and it was like that color orange, almost kind of a burnt bright orange. Yes, yeah, so I always enjoy a cool car by by an older gentleman. You know, thank you, Jim Rockford, Rockford Files. You know, yes, and cr- cruising around. See, that made him cool. You know? Yeah. <laughs> That and the theme song, man. I thought I thought the Rockford Files were awesome just because of the theme song. <laughs> um, we don't go too deep into the plot here, but I'm going to ask Ricky, you know, what, what he thinks about the film in general. Well, I was saying before we kind of got rolling here, there's something I just absolutely love about the 70s grindhouse era of movies because, you know, even though I'm, a, I'm, I'm an 80s person through and through, as far as TV and movies, I'm always a sucker for low-budget 70s movies. And because, like I said earlier when we were talking, you almost feel like you're not supposed to be seeing this. It's almost like you found this movie that's been put away that you're not supposed to see because it's nasty to some degree, right? Uh, it's like the, this movie was shot with the same camera that they just shot some 70s porn with. It, it just feels like you know one could run into the other and nothing would – you know feel out of place so i don't know there's just something i love about this this time period of movies and this one i think it's funny that the movie is called mr no legs obviously he's the talking point of the movie but the movie is not really his story he just happens to be in the movie you know because he works with this guy and he you know kind of gets his uh, they turn their back on him and stuff and he has to kind of plot his own little revenge but it's weird it's called Mr. No Legs, but really the story is about more of the cops. You know, it's more about Andy <laughs> than anything else. So uh, it's a it's a fun watch. Uh, I don't know that Rance plays a good bad guy or a drug dealer. I, I think because we've just seen him in so many other things, it's hard to see him that way. But you can't deny the Jekyll. I mean, anything he's in, I'm game. He's certainly elevating, certainly elevating his partner who – should have a bigger role in this movie. They they should maybe should be a different actor, but they got this big old hunky, like I said, former wrestler. Apparently, this guy was you know. You, to, you to, know, and that oh, makes sorry. a lot of sense too because mm-hmm. the fight scenes are pretty dang good. So you've got this ex pro wrestler, and then you've got Mister No Legs, who's got this martial arts degree. That's why these fight scenes work. Yeah, 
we we had talked about the Mr. No Legacy because um our, our character, our title character, he gets screwed over by his subordinates and he decides he, he's going to get revenge by, by killing some of his subordinates and mm-hmm. yeah, with, with, with the guns and there's a particular pool scene that anybody oh, listening yeah. to this has to at least have to watch that because he gets to show off his his martial arts skills, but it starts with a ninja star on the side of his yeah, wheel. Absolutely. <laughs> Just reaches down and pops it off the the spoke <laughs> in his wheelchair wheel, and he's ready for action. It's like somebody told me I was going to need this one day, and uh, here it is. <laughs> the moment is now. <laughs> Ninja Star. No, but it's great, though, because you get to see our, 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 our title character. He's doing some, some push-ups on the chair. Oh, later, yeah, showing off for the ladies. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Later on, he um he has to have this fight, and he's really showing off his, um I don't want to use the word stump. But he hits people with his stump, okay? And it, it's pretty yeah. awesome. You know, that's the only way I can describe it. It's his bottom part of his body. And, um, yeah. man, it's just fun to watch. And I, I can see why he had so I, I, And I was looking, trying my damnedest to find some video of some possible competitions he was in or and, and, and anything. And I couldn't find anything. And it kind of makes me sad. I, I like to see him, you know, do some yeah. stuff, you know. Yeah, for real, yeah. In competitions type, you know. And it's not there. It's just not there. And... Um, it, it's amazing that he's like the, the basis of the title and, and the cover and all that good stuff. And, but he's not really the big enemy and he, he gets dispatched about two thirds into this movie, unfortunately. Yeah. And then it turns into the Dukes of Hazard <laughs> for some it reason. It really does, man. <laughs> the, the, I was going to say, you've got, you've got the bar fight scene between the two girls, which oh is God, pretty awesome. hilarious. Yeah. Then you've got the pool scene. And you get well. You got Andy at the bar too after the girls fight, and he he throws some guys around, which looks really good. But then the pool scene, and then the car chase, man. I mean, this movie's got it. That that bar scene remind, reminds me so much of like the nothing scenes that are in Street Trash that make you laugh so hard. <laughs> right. Like the the scene where the guy goes in the grocery store, he's stealing all the groceries. Yeah. And, um, that bar scene is just like, hey, here's this girl. That's my. I think she's supposed to be his informant. That he's waiting for. But mm-hmm. she's just in this bar starting shit with somebody. <laughs> it, and it turns into this big, like, bottle-breaking, like, comedic thing. And she gets stabbed with, with a broken bottle. And there's, yeah. a, there's a little person in the back laughing his ass off. It's, <laughs> it's the 70s, man. That's the magic of the 70s. It's like anything goes. It didn't have to make sense. We're shooting a movie here. <laughs> no, that little person needed to be doing some martial arts is all I'm saying. I mean, it'd be amazing. Sure. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't see it, but I'm sure if I look real hard, I can find it. But Jim Kelly shows up this movie for a hot second um, from <laughs> End of the Dragon and then Black Belt Jones. And, oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that three, three, how, how can I not mention Three the Hard Way? That, that, that movie, too. You, yeah. know. you come straight out of a comic book. Mm-hmm. Oh, so good. <laughs> well, yeah, this, this film, you know, I, I, I think, you know, the, when, you, when you learn that things about, you know, about the actor and, you know, performer, martial artist, you see what you could do with, with with no legs that that a lot of men can't do with uh right. with full bodies. Yeah, it makes this film all that much more impressive to me. I, I don't know what sure. it is, you know. Well, so we hope. Just, I sorry. think the only thing, like I said, well, no, I'm sorry, I'm stepping on YouTube. No, I think we got a little delay, but that's fine. But uh, again, it's like it's called Mr. No Legs, but really he's he's not in it a lot. I mean. <laughs> You know, he shows up, he shoots some people, goes, I don't care if they die. They needed to die. And, you know, so he's got this attitude, and he's a pretty good hit guy. But you just figure that the movie would be more about following him around and 
him being a bad guy, getting his back turned, which all this stuff happens, but it's not the main focus of the movie, which makes it really kind of odd. You, you gotta love that he looks kind of unassuming, too, that he, he rolls up in this wheelchair, he's got no legs, and he's got like a like a 10-year-old boy's haircut going on. <laughs> but he's like this big stocky dude. You know? Yeah, yeah, the haircut kind of, yeah, it kind of throws it a little bit for sure. <laughs> hey, you know, he he's too busy learning martial arts. He ain't got time to learn to cut his own hair. Man, ain't that true, man. <laughs> I just seen a picture of the little dude, you know. It's hilarious. He's got a big old little big old hat on and stuff. Damn, that's funny. It's so funny. <laughs> it's so random. Like I said, it seems like that and like um for, for no reason and they they, they they mess up Richard Jekyll's whip, which is the most tragic death in the whole movie. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Cuz D'Angelo steals his car and he's chasing behind him in a, in a, in a damn um in the police car, and one of the most amazing things happened, and I love, I love this trope about these this random thing just sitting in the road, and how, how D'Angelo is taken out, well, and how, unfortunately, our detective's car is taken out, is there are random blocks of ice in the way, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, you know he's going to run into them, you just wait right. for it to happen, you know? Right. I mean, there's no other reason for the ice to be there, I mean... <laughs> But you know, yeah, I gotta admit the the cop car that's coming over the 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 draw bridge bridge is going up and it runs over the top of those cars. I mean, it's got some Smokey and the Bandit things going on here. Oh, some great stunts, you know. For I, I'd imagine this film was very cheap to make, you know. Oh yeah. Um. Yeah, lots of fun, man. I I I, I get down with with the again, Jekyll just just you know he's one of those actors that that would elevate this this inexperienced actor's performance. He does oh, it yeah. real well. And, yeah, um, it's funny. My, my wife walked through when I was watching it, and she's like, you know, she pointed out to D'Angelo. She's like, I've seen that guy in a hundred movies. And Jacob, that guy's been in a hundred movies. And then, of course, Rance, and she's like, what kind of movie is this? I'm like, 70 schlock, baby. <laughs> it's Mr. No Legs, baby. Come on. Either you're on board or you're not. You know? That's right. <laughs> she wasn't, so. <laughs> Damn it. But, but that's um, what's impressive about this time period, again, because these these people would make these movies and they were in tons of stuff back then. And you would think, you know, is, is there a level that is too low for you to do these movies? And it's probably favors. They probably know the director, a good friend. They trying to make this movie and they, you know, do it for a small fee or whatever. So I don't know. I, I would imagine the, the, the market was a little different during the seventies like that with all the independent, you know, filmmakers running around doing stuff and buddying up with people. I mean, you watch you watch, you watch many films like this. You can watch. There's a film called The Glove that features John Saxon. Yeah, it's it's about a guy who who murders who's a murderer on the loose, and he's the, he think he's the detective, but this guy has fashioned uh, like a like a metal gauntlet that can crush people's heads. Mm-hmm. This is a yeah. movie for the '70s people, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it can't be made any other decade yeah. except for the '70s. Poor John Saxon, he was always the detective. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I can't tell you how many times I watched a movie, you know, like random movie, because that's that's what one of the best things about the internet is about social media is that people say, "Hey, look at this random thing." It's like, "Hey, I've never seen it before, so it's new to me." And then you watch yeah. it and you say, "Hey, yeah, that can only be made in the seventies. It cannot be made now." You know, that's right. yeah. <laughs> never <True>. ever. <laughs> yep, no doubt about it. <laughs> Any uh, final things you want to say about Mister No Legs, sir? Uh, you know, if you like, if you like the seventies grindhouse stuff. This this is a must watch. I mean, it fits right in there between they call her left eye and rollerball, or <laughs> it just kind of works with whatever. It, it is just a slice of seventies Americana. 
there's not so much corporate greed in this movie, okay, like in Rollerball, you know. Right, that's true. But but you but you got to root for old Jonathan E in that movie. <laughs> uh, one of my most favorite closing shots in any movie is Rollerball. It's so fucking satisfying. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, this is this is great though. I, I recommend watching. You know, with, with maybe the new information that you have, you ever seen it before? You say, "Wow, this this this," because you, you you'd see him doing this stuff in the chair, and you'd think, "Oh, this is just a work." But now right. that you, now that you know it's not a work, that he was the real deal. Right. No long, yeah. no longer with us, unfortunately. Um, but he um kicks some ass over a lot of adversity, and I admire that greatly. And I admire this film more because of that. It elevates I it. I think. Totally agree. Oh my gosh. Without Mister No Legs, we'll see you next time with an '80s film about a wheelchair that actually does some more shit than that. This wheelchair. <laughs> see, it's, they just they took it to the next level, didn't they? They turned it up to eleven. They turned it to eleven, man. With um post-apocalyptic. Sort of film. It features Tiny Zeus Lister and a, a handicapped kid that's gonna like tear him up because it's, it's some vigilantes for their, I guess, to stay alive. I've never seen this before. But I'm excited to watch it again. Look on the internet, you'll find some shit. Wired to Kill from 1986. Oh man, I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, I haven't seen it either, so I'm, I'm excited about this one. But you guys can find that on YouTube to to watch for free. To if you want to watch before we our review, so. uh Check out that there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Rick. Yeah, anytime, man. And uh, we'll be right back with something else. <laughs> it's it's odd that, you know, uh, Lori came from such a different... Uh... Right, a completely different path. I was uh, uh, brought up in a very small town just uh, south of the Chicago city limits and just far enough away to have been peopled with pure, unadulterated white trash. <laughs> and uh, because I was one of so many children, um, I don't believe that anyone noticed when I blew town at 15 and ended up in San Francisco, California. And it's at this point in my story that the dark clouds part <laughs> because I met a certain Mr. Wiseman who gave me a job in his shop. And before long, he tapped me to do some small roles in some of his short films <laughs> for more mature audiences. And uh, before long, I had landed, if you will, some leads. And uh, then I started to do some uh, cameos um, well, I was known for uh, doing a certain thing that many of the other girls wouldn't do. And of course, I loved to sing ever since I was a little girl. And um, I learned to play the ukulele in one of my last films, uh, Not So Tiny Tim. Finally in the news tonight, the music world mourns the death of folk music icon Irving Steinblum. Steinblum managed the careers of the Main Street singers, the Folksmen, and Mitch and Mickey. The only fit fitting tribute that, that we could come up with was a memorial concert. I'd like to think that Mitch would agree to do this, because I already said yes. Where else could we have such an event, the town hall? We're very pleased to be having the folk people here. The acoustics are, are just perfect. You went to the record store, you knew that the new Folksman album would be one word title Hitchin', Wishin', Ramblin', Singin'. But uh, they had no uh, they had no hole in the center of the records and uh, yeah, if you punched a hole in them you'd have a good time. Yeah. It's just that my dad, Fred Knox, was an original Main Street singer. He's a dead person now, but he, when he was alive, he was so happy. There had been abuse in my family, uh, but it was mostly musical in nature. There's a kiss at the end of the rainbow. 
I must say I was in awe of Mitch and Mickey. <laughs> Who wasn't? Mitch was mysterious and intense. I don't remember much. Uh... We are so excited to be part of this project. Oh, absolutely. It's something of a challenge for me because I don't like folk music. Oh, me too. Quick plug, all I'm Mike LaFontaine, owner and founder of High Class Management. <laughs> I had a hit that you might have heard of, Hurelegit Lidagoman, which means how's it hanging, Grandma? Are those are lights hanging up there? Yes, those are lights. Could they fall? And that's a ceiling above us. Excuse me, I must be full. <laughs> it's perfect. like that wire. I see a wire. I see it. Oh! The mighty winds are blowing across the land and across the sea. It's blowing peace and freedom. I feel ready for a voyage on this magnificent vessel. I love Mitch. What if we see so? Hello folks, uh, welcome back to the show, uh, where we're here to do one more Christopher Guest review for you guys, and that is A Mighty Wind from 2003, and, uh, with us tonight, uh, Blowing peace and freedom and blowing you and me is, uh, <laughs> Su- Suzanne is here. How you doing, girl? What's happening? Uh, not <laughs> much. You had to do it. Beautiful. <laughs> After a brief meltdown, I'm here and I'm happy to be here. That's okay. Meltdowns are important, you did. To vent to somebody, you know. Um, with a snet also, is the lovely Iris... Hello, hello. How are you all doing? Oh, fine. Fine, fine, fine. <laughs> and our special guest panelists for, for, for this review, um, you may know him from the Friday Nightmares podcast and his um, Smoke Show OnlyFans account, as Heather would love to say. <laughs> you know? He he is, um, I'm not going to give the big introduction he gives himself every show, just the, you know, blow gremlins or whatnot. I don't know what he does, but... uh. <laughs> He's here, he's bearded, he's wax-vaxxed, and all of that, all that stuff. Uh, from Swords Creek, Michigan, this is Smoke Show with Scott Crawford. How you doing, sir? going on, everybody? I'm, man, I just, uh, I'm very happy to be here, and I'm hoping by the end of this I get a kiss. Oh. Aww. <laughs> that would entertain Heather to no end if I fucking gave you a kiss at the end of the rainbow, is all I'm saying about that, you know? Oh God! I, no, that you could set your OnlyFans page up with. Yeah, yeah, y'all ain't y'all ain't getting that shit for free. You ain't getting that shit. The beard. You ain't getting that shit for free. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's see. You, but you buy the cow, you get the Scott for free. No, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. I mean, you always get the Scott. I mean, I give myself up, no problem. <laughs> but yeah. We're here to talk about a mighty wind, uh, which is another mockumentary in the Christopher Guest oeuvre. Um, this this is a, a a story about a folk producer who um, dies, so they're going to put a concert with his his major acts that he brought up and and loved, and the the conflicts that occur within the making of this concert. And this has uh, many of your principal cast members that you you knew from the other CRISPR guest uh, ones uh, Catherine O'Hara as Mickey Crab, uh, Eugene Levy as Mitch Cohen uh, Mickey and Mitch right there um, this this of course reunites 
uh, Spinal Tap in a film. Uh, Harry Shearer as Mark Shove, Michael McKeon as Jerry Popalter, and Christopher Guest as Alan Barrows. So that, that's special. Uh, Jane Lynch shows up, shows up in a much major another role in this movie um, as Laurie Bonner. John Michael Higgins, again, uh, underutilized in, in everything but these movies. Uh, Terry Bonner as Terry Bonner. Uh, Parker Posey as Delightful as, as Sissy Knox. Fred Willard, what happened? As Michael LaFontaine. La <laughs> uh, Bob Balaban as Jonathan uh, Steinblum, uh, the, the son of the patriarch there, one of the sons. Jennifer Coolidge shows up again. Uh, Larry Miller shows up again. With a delightful pony note for no reason. I don't know why that thing exists, but it's, it's magical. Uh, Ed Bagley Jr. is Lars uh, O'Flynn, who, who puts on the concert. Paul Dooley shows up again. You know, bless him. And I, did, I didn't see her. I gotta go back and look for this now. Mary Gross shows up in this movie. And I always love when she shows up in things, so now I gotta go back and look again. Because I missed that. Uh Oh, she's only there very, very, it's very, seconds. very briefly. I, I got to look anyway, though. It's, it's She's one of the original Main Street singers. Uh, I'm I'm the, that kid that grew up in the wee feds and watched it one too, way too many times. And uh, oh. <laughs> one day on the show, ladies, one day on the show, I promise. <laughs> um, but I, I have a good time with the tunes in this 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 movie and the, the acting, everything about it. Um. Music and lyrics by our Spinal Tap panelists, and, and as well as um, as well as um, Eugene Levy and Catherine O'Hara, and Michael McKean's wife uh, has some writing credits. And Annette O'Toole are married, and she has a, a writing credit on this as well. They they wrote "A Kiss at the End of the Rainbow," which I'm sure we'll talk about and probably weep about because that's a song in this movie that's a uh, pretty freaking special. But I'll kick it to our guests first, the Smoke Show. What's your thoughts, your initial thoughts on The Mighty Wind? Oh, man. So this, uh, I'm, I'm kind of new to Christopher Guest movies. I've only seen Best in Show, and I freaking love that movie. Um, so when you offered me to join the podcast for uh, one of the show episodes, I was like, all right, I hope I get a Mighty Wind because that's one I've always wanted to check out. And I got the lucky straw. And, man, I am so happy I got this one. This was just so freaking funny and entertaining and kind of heartwarming and also just the music is amazing i'm a i love folk music and this was great and like beautifully done but holy shit i just gotta say eugene levy with the way he talks throughout this movie just steals the freaking show for me i i kind of like doing this fun i i just i love it and yeah, the, the combination between him and Catherine O'Hare, like as always just so good uh, cause yeah, I love, and I love seeing them in, uh, Schitt's Creek now. So that just made me very happy to see them again back in the, from back in the day. Cool. Iris. Okay. First of all, I have to say that I'm very grateful for model trains or else without <laughs> them, we wouldn't have real trains. <laughs> Holy shit. No, that woman, it's, uh, the fucking screen anytime she is on it because she is funny and she i don't know i just love her but this movie in itself it's lots of fun i mean you know i it's kind of funny but i was talking with um a friend of mine robin from uh, another podcast uh <laughs> and uh i was telling her that you know i know people like this i mean like in real life 
there is a uh, gentleman by the name of Jim, and his he was he is a basically a a hippie type of artistic dude, and his wife was a music teacher, and you know they it was guitar and uh, dulcimer just like them, and um, sadly she passed away a couple of years ago, but you know he. He is that dude. He is Mitch. I mean, he walks around just like lost and they lived on a commune and everything. You know, it's knowing stage people is funny because you can see every single person that in this movie, it's like, you know, someone, you know, someone that acts like this. Um, The music in this is fucking amazing. Um, I'm not too much into the folksy music, but you know, I like music to tell stories, and and that's basically what these guys are doing. And I think the music's great. The singing is amazing, uh, done by the actors themselves. Uh, <laughs> and of course, you know, who wouldn't want to worship another dimension where color is the forty ninth vibration? We are the forty ninth vibration of color. I mean, wink. How would you not know that? You know, anybody walking down the street <laughs> know that, right? <laughs> But, you know, they, they don't fly around on verbs. No, they wear the witchy hats, but they don't fly on verbs. No, no this movie is so much fun. It's just such quirkiness. And then, of course, Bob Balaban. Um, John, I mean, this guy, uh, obviously, he had a Jewish mother. They're very overbearing. They played they played polo. Her. They played polo on Shetland ponies, you know. So they wouldn't fall far. <laughs> uh, had to wear a football helmet when he was in the chess club. Um, the, the fact that he's like walking around, he's on stage and he's like, he's like, are those lights up hanging up there? Is that a wire? And the oh, stage don't get manager it. just slaps him on the head. <laughs> I was like, enough. And, and don't get, you know, your eye gouged out by an apple blossom for the yeah, love like of God. An apple blossom and, you know, old people in wheelchairs are going to get tangled up in the vines. I mean, this guy, he, every character, I mean, just takes it just, you know, to that place where it's just over the top because the most creative people that are on stage are over the top because if they weren't, they wouldn't be on stage. So true. Um, and, you know, and Mickey and Mitch, you know, it, it's that typical, you know, love story that, you know, the two artists met they fell in love and there was a nasty breakup and they never talked to each other so uh and then here they are back and each one has their version of the kiss of like well you know i wasn't leading him on and then he's like well i wasn't leading her on but it's it's cute and i have to say depending on what mood i'm in uh the song at the end uh where where you know they say you know uh the kiss at the end of the rainbow. Sometimes I get like a little teary eyed because it's such a sweet song. And to see the two characters that have been at odds with each other for so long and they do kiss. It's kind of cute, but anyway, Uh, but yeah, uh, this is a great movie. Um, Not one of my favorite, but pretty close to it. Suzanne. I have a theory. I think that this movie is spinal tap in an alternate dimension. Okay. Okay, oh. like a folk song spinal tap. <laughs> no, I'm listening. I really believe it. It is because I mean, it was as I was watching it. I've se- I can't even count how many times I've seen this movie, and when they're talking to the one, you know, the magazine writer, 
His name, and this this is what made me think of it, is Martin Berg, the guy that Paul Benedict, or as I always like to call him, Bentley. Um, and the filmographer was Marty DeBerge. Yeah. And like I said, you see the same three in Folksman, and you have these other acts around them. But I swear to God, they he wrote this and stuck them in a folk music alternate timeline. Well, so it's Spinal Tap, but now they're the folks. I don't want to interrupt you, but they, they do have a genuine genuine Spinal Tap moment in the movie, at least one that I could recall, is where oh, yeah. where the Main Street singers do their song first that they're going to do, and then... Harry Shearer! <laughs> he goes off, just, 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 just a second here, as, a, as a hypothetical, what say we do wandering? <laughs> <laughs> and then he, he, he yells at him without yelling at him, you know. It's just kind of wonderful. Oh, it's like it's like the Stonehenge thing. Oh, I know, and like that. I straight up. That's what I mean. Once again, but I think maybe just because I watched them so close together, and I've never watched those two movies within a week or so of each other, and all of a sudden this just jumped at me. So there's that, and I absolutely love. There's just once again, as Iris said, the quirkiness. But I mean, going back to the song, the kiss at the end of the rainbow. There is something incredibly heartwarming and touching about that entire thing because everybody comes out. Michael McKean is sitting there. It's like, oh, it's such a pretty song. Are they going to do the kiss? And everybody is flooding side stage to get a glimpse to see if they're actually going to do it. And yes, I actually did shed a tear because it is just a beautiful song. And I, I, couldn't remember, but I, I I was pretty sure that was the song that got nominated for an Oscar. I don't think it won. Fucking should have. But that that scene is, for me, I think that's like the pinnacle of the movie. And you go through your rapid thing at the end of what everybody is up to. I think Mickey and Maud are... Maud? What the hell? Did I mention Mickey? My God, where the hell is my head tonight? I think theirs is the funniest because she's there, you know, you know, pimping Sherflo, and he's writing poetry again, and he's like, I'm so open now. <laughs> I didn't want to leave her on. And the folks been playing casinos, which, awesome. And, well, we have a drastic transformation that happened, too, which, yes. the first, you, you die the first time you see the movie, you're like, What? Okay, I, I, I get that you're all about, you know, taking care of your skin. Well, you know. But apparently, maybe that was the next logical step for him. You know, Norwegian fishermen, they use hand cream all the time. Just throw it out there, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just, it's so, there's so many things. That, and Iris, we, talk, we talked a lot about Bob Balaban, but he is at his absolute neurotic best in this movie. I'm very, very organized, and he's sitting there moving things around like, yeah, I, I know that feels. And, like I said, the the apple blossom, like, somebody's going to put their eye out. Then it tangled in his vine. Some very low-hanging and, vines, so watch out for those. <laughs> but when the stage manager goes and slaps him upside the head, you just can't help but fucking fall out laughing. That is one of the funniest scenes in the movie. And this one, for me, it's not like it's laugh-out-loud funny. It's some of the other things. There's just, there's... <sighs> I guess it's just kind of they're playing a lot on the nostalgia and making it work very well of, you know, bygone days and folk music and all the folk clubs and how everybody knew each other. And they brought for me, I think they did a great job. And 
you know, some of the songs that the Main Street singers did were just funny as hell. I was like, you get the sweet potato going, and uh, yeah, I, I, I started singing that while I was watching the movie. I'm like, you need to make that stop. Do it. <laughs> Keep singing that song. You know what? I kind of agree with the folksmen, or the folkmen. Um, those really aren't folk songs. Those are like ditties. Yeah. So, you know, because I, yeah, it does tell a story, but it's a woohoo, yay, happy go lucky story. Um, it, it, yeah, it does fit more into the ditty category than a folk song. Right. It, but with folk songs, there's always some kind of deepness to them. Exactly. Like the last song, A Mighty Wind. I, I yeah. love that song, right? Because it totally encompasses, and, and it's kind of like the personification of the time when they were, you know, they were it. They were the big thing. It was a time of, you know, um, civil rights and the civil rights movement, the the women's movement, uh, all of that. And, you know, what it says, uh, freedom and equality. So it, to me, that is the perfect full song. And I, I'm glad that that's what they ended up. Of course, you know, it's Christopher Guest. Why wouldn't yeah. he do that? But, yeah, um, I kind of agree with the folksmen. They're just too happy-go-lucky. <laughs> yeah, and they're they're yeah. kind of like the fake knockoffs. They're not the actual yes. Main Street singers. They're the new Main Street singers, and the only one that's actually got any connection is Sissy. And I'm sorry, Parker Posey is just as cute as a fucking button in this movie, especially when she's playing her ukulele for the class. And oh, they're all just sitting Oh, yeah, I mean, she's just sitting there and playing and just big-ass smile on her face. And the kids are like, oh, my God, what the fuck fresh hell is this? <laughs> <laughs> but there's a, this is just one of those movies that, for me, it's basically a warm bowl of popcorn. I'm always happy to go spend some time with it. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I love this. This is These two films that were covered on this show are probably my favorite ones at all of them. And for, for, for good reason, um, John Michael Higgins... As Terry Bonner, you know, like just as, as an actor, but as a musician and as a singer, I, I think he needs to utilize that more in, in, in other things because he he's underutilized today, and it makes me sad. Like I said in the, the Best in Show review, he just uh, he needs to do more. I mean, he's he's great in this movie and t- telling the story about how he became how he became in love with the Main Street Singers, which is basically his father. You know, locked him in a room. He built the Main Street Singers on gin boxes. <laughs> Yeah, and then the Main Street Singers, his his abuse was musical in nature. Yeah. <laughs> that whole introduction. And I gotta say, Jane Lynch, she's from where I'm, where I'm from, from Dalton, Illinois. She went to Thornridge High School. So when she's doing her little schmeal about, you know, li- leaving, you know, that town just south of Chicago, you know, with, which had poor, unadulterated white trash in it, that that's that's a jab and a love at, at Dalton. And I, I, I gotta say... <laughs> That that part I did not notice till these these viewings for this show, and I was like, "Wow, that's that's fucking awesome." That she because she she still shows a lot of love for that fucking shit town she's from, and I that I'm from, and I think right now if we watch TV around me and Suzanne, she does a tourism commercial for Illinois now. Oh, nice. Yeah, um, <clears throat> yeah, the folksmen, uh, they they they're they're, they're wonderful. Uh, Harry Shearer just being awkward and. It's, it's 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 amazing the, the whole the whole thing about oh he caught me in the bathroom I threw my hands down and you know reminded me of his father t- catching him in the act with, with the hand cream and it, it's it's end up talking a little quirky shit like what they're talking about with how the, how the records came out and 
this one was big, and then we got it pushed out of the lower label, and the record didn't even have a hole in it or something, he says. And it's, it's, it's... Oh, yeah. <laughs> you had to drill your own hole, and hopefully you got it center. <laughs> but it sounded wobbly. good. <laughs> it, it, would, it would just wobble on the spindle. Um, good sound quality, though. Yeah, it's good sound quality, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, the, the 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 lyrics of some of these songs. You, you mentioned potatoes in the paddy wagon. It's it's a really it's a really bad thing to say about your baby that she has the face of a parboiled yam. You know, because yeah. it's like, oh wow, that's that's a uh, that's ugly, man. Yeah. Fell downstairs and just had her there. Yeah. I hate what I. Oh my God. Make me don't let me sing anymore. Oh, it, it'll happen one day. Um, the Mitch and Mickey stuff. I I I. We just lost Naomi Judd. So it's I mean yeah 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 I'm sorry yeah Naomi Judd and you hear interviews with her about her depression. This is where I get serious about things about her staying in her house for. for three weeks at a time not taking a shower in the same clothes and having to put on that face for the people and the whole idea of him, you know, falling, because they don't really explain a lot of why why they broke up. They just explain the anger of what happened when they broke up. But, mm-hmm. you know, that, that little level of depression, you know, I, I think about my mother quite a bit when Naomi, Naomi, Naomi Judd talks about her depression and that that's I just cry a little more. Let's put it that way. Show, sure. um, but their songs in in not just in the movie, but in on on the the soundtrack album. There's a song called "The Ballad of Bobby and June" that's not in the movie, but it's a, it's a wonderful song. You guys should check it out if you guys haven't yet. Um, but that that song, which I hear people have played at their weddings, uh, "A Kiss at the End of the Rainbow." It's a lovely song, and there's a part of this movie. Where they're they're at um, Mickey's house and they're rehearsing, and you can see you know when he's playing and she's playing, and they're looking at each other and you can see something clicks there, and that's just that that you know that love that that literal love for each other and you know the um the compatibility of as an as an actor and actress and. There's something in that look, like he's 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 ready to go at that point, and of course he's not ready to go again because he's that neurotic, and it, it the little stuff he does in this movie, <laughs> like when the husband takes him down to go see the model train, and he keeps calling it Crab Bill instead of Crab Town. I think Crab Bill would look beautiful in the autumn. <laughs> put some some trees over there, uh, with with some leaves, and you know it's 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 really. It's really crazy. He doesn't play roles like this. He's a lot more, you know, exuberant and, and wild. But this is a really reserved role for him for for a lot of a lot of reasons. Just that's what the character is. And he learned to play guitar for this movie. And Parker Posey learned to play the mandolin for this movie. So the fact that all these people, you know, I mentioned how much I love the film Nashville, the Robert Altman film Nashville, because those actors in that movie wrote and performed their own music in that movie as well. I, I, I love shit like that. It oh, just yeah. and once again you also got an Oscar nomination for Keith Carrot Keith Carradine's song. Mm-hmm. You get you it, it gives a new level to, you know, what you're seeing on the screen and that's that's uh that's important. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it gives it more of a level of authenticity. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I definitely gotta say like I um 
with uh with Mitch and uh Mickey uh like er yeah um but yeah those two like just just the chemistry between those two like if it wasn't those actors I don't know if it would have been the same because yeah Eugene Levy and Kathy Kath, Catherine O'Hare both just have such great chemistry together yeah you need that man that's good shit <laughs> yeah but um the main the new Main Street singers I I, I love you know watching them perform because. It's it's the toothpaste commercial, as Michael McKean says in this movie, and they're just so, you know, happy and, you know, smiling and, you know, <laughs> there's um a song about, where they sing about Bible stuff called The Good Book Song, which I've listened, I've listened to the soundtrack on my phone for at least, I think, like 15 times in the past month, just because I churn on every once in a while, and I'm I'm just singing along with The Good Book Song, and... You know, any any um, any Mitch and Mickey song, which if you're wearing a mask, which is one of the most greatest things in the world for something like this, you can sing shit like this in a grocery store, and they're none the wiser, okay? None the wiser. <laughs> <laughs> so good, man. If you haven't listened to the soundtrack album, though, there's, there's stuff on there that's not in the movie, like, like that one song I had mentioned, and songs in full... Uh, if you don't own the Blu-ray or DVD, it's it's, it's on both. Um, great extras on there. You can watch the whole concert in full on there. The, as it was, if it, as if it was aired on TV, you can watch it on there. And of course, deleted scenes because this is you know mostly fucking imp- improvised you know, with, with very little script there, which I, I, which makes me happy about the Dalton dig because I I I I I'd have to ask her myself. But I would imagine that's something she threw in on her own. But this poor white trash girl from from the south from the south suburbs of Chicago, you know, and people that know know what she's talking about. <laughs> that's, all, that's all I'll say about that one, you know. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I catch myself singing this stuff all the time. Old Joe's place, the the, the folksman song that really sticks out for me because X made a made a post. Uh, <laughs> On Facebook last night, I wish he could have been here for this, but he's he's semi-retired and he's he's hanging out with his wifey and stuff. Um, he just he simply put E O A, you know, because you look for that busted neon sign and that's what it says. E O O, yeah, that X is fucking. That's my man. Well, I love that he did that. Like, what what I what I respond to, I was like, is there always something cooking there? You know. <laughs> so so fucking good um i'll kick it back to scotty anything else you want to say about the film and uh what do you rate a one to ten uh, well i was gonna say like uh talking about the soundtrack i actually did uh download this on spotify like af- immediately after i watched the movie because i was just like oh my god these songs are incredible and i could do this all day long and but now like you guys have summed this up way better than i ever like uh but, like, yeah, I am so glad that I was able to watch this because I've actually had a screener copy of this movie on DVD from when it was released and just sat on my shelf, sat on my shelf, sat on my shelf. So when I got chose to do this movie, I was like, Elias, finally get to bust this open and watch it. Still had the whole uh, screener disclaimer at the bottom of the screen and everything, which just kind of brought back some nostalgia for me from my old uh, days with my stepdad and, like, his movie collection. Um, but, yeah, I just absolutely adore this film. And, uh, like, it's got that, like, like you guys were saying, it's quirky, but it has like that almost like British dry sense of humor compared to like uh, Best in Show, and I freaking love that so much. And like every character in this is just like very, very entertaining to watch on the screen. Um, 
But yeah, as for a rating for this, I would give this uh, 8 out of 10. This is just very enjoyable and something I will watch over and over and over again. Cool. Suzanne? Oh, I still love this, and I did forget to mention. Well, I did I, I did mention his little catchphrase. We're happening! I can't do my work! But for me, this is going to sound kind of goofy, but... You know, he always plays a part in these movies. Not Spinal Tap, but that wasn't a Christopher Guest movie. But for me, he's like the goat cheese that pulls the whole thing together. He's his presence and just he's never plays the same character twice. He's always so out there in his horrible show ideas for the Main Street Singers. And for me, I, I can't believe I didn't mention him when I was going through my review. But like I said, he's the he's like the glue that holds that it's it's like that one string that goes all the way through the movie, and it's Fred Willard. I, I got an idea. I, I got I got an idea for your act. Uh, you know, Cat, that they have in Moby Dick. We could just throw a bunch of water on stage and say, "There she blows," especially on the women. Empty it out of your turn your guitars upside down and empty the water out. Especially on the women. <laughs> and then he goes over and whispers into Oh yes, this is this movie. I've always, always, always enjoyed. I enjoy. There, there's not a single frame in any of these movies that I had. I do not enjoy. And it's you can. It's one of those you always notice something different. It's like same with Best in Show. Even the same with Spinal Tap and Guffman, some little thing that you knew was there, but you didn't pay that much attention to it at first. And I still think this is Spinal Tap in an alternate folk music universe. But yeah, I'm pretty much not as much my favorite as Best in Show, but it's a solid 9 out of 10 for me. Iris? Um, yeah, this is kind of like, I'm with Suzanne. Uh, it's fun. It's quirky. The music is kick-ass. Um, the writing, well, uh, let's just say the uh, ad-lib is amazing. The editing, too. Just like uh, the other movies that we've discussed. But uh, this one, I'm going to give like an 8.5. Um, it's not best in show, but it tried really hard. That's fair enough. Um, you know, harmonies are hard. And, you know, these are these are actors who became musicians and some of the harmonies in this film really click with me. And usually when I'm at work, I'll, I'll keep one earphone off, you know, to hear what people are telling me. But you know, when, when this is on, I'll put both earphones on because you they, they miss those harmonies otherwise. And I don't, I don't like that. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's wonderful. If you haven't seen it before, you, you, you want to, you know, smile and, be sad at the same time and get some quick jokes in there. I mean, Jane Lynch is, she's on point with the quick jokes and she, she's talking. We forgot about her little trick. She, she her little trick. Yeah, she's talking about, <laughs> talking about her, 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 her foray in mature movies. And, you know, she learned how to play the ukulele in which she started one of her last films, Not So Tiny Tim, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so just nonchalantly talking about her freaking stint in mature films. Oh my god, that had me dying. <laughs> so funny, man. I I can't stand it. But um, I'm with Iris with that eight point five. It's not as good as Best in Show, but I get as much enjoyment out of it as I do Best in Show. So yeah, th- these are, these are my two my two favorites on this episode, and not dissing Guffman or, or um Spinal Tap, but these um these two right here are the ones I'll go to. 
just about every time. And um, the, the music has a lot to do with it, and the performances, of course, and the fact that they're all in, you know... They're all in the whole thing, and it's not like there's there's not a there's not a kink in the armor there, and I I gotta appreciate a pure good. I I, I mentioned films that I watch, even if they're bad, that are pure good. This this is something I can turn on that's pure good, right there with the Village People movie. Suzanne uh, can't stop the music. Oh, God. <laughs> it's 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 not a good movie in the traditional way, but you know what? When that milkshake song hits, I'm, I'm all for it, man. You know. It's kind of like Xanadu. Right? Yes, yes. I watching it, loving it when I was like eight or eight, you know, hey, eight, eight, nine years hey, old. Hey, hey, hey. Let, were let me stop you right there. It. You love Xanadu now, too, okay? I'm just throwing it out there, okay? It's, uh... <laughs> oh. <laughs> Xanadu's got a special place in my heart when you had us watch it for Is It Really That Bad? But... <laughs> no, that was somebody else made you watch that, but I'll make you watch it anyway, Scotty. You know, any day of the week, you know. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, a funny Xanadu story when Pat and I went to New Orleans for a vacation a couple of years ago. You know, we're just, we're, we basically bumped into the first New Orleans esque bar that we found. And, you know, we're sitting there drinking amazing local beer and having our third bowl of gumbo in two hours. And, you know, we're, for some reason, the, we had just done that podcast with Xanadu. And we're talking about the bartender from like half all the way across the bar with lots of people in there comes over and he's like, "Did you say Xanadu?" Like, yes, I did. Because it's infectious. That's why, you know. <laughs> so we he actually <laughs> sat over there, ignored other patrons to sit and talk to me and Pat about Xanadu. <laughs> it was it was kind of awesome. Nice, but yeah, this this has been the the Mighty Wind review, and we'll uh, come right back to close out the show. Hello? Hello, who is this? Who are you trying to reach? I don't know. Oh, I think you've got the wrong number. Do I? I'm going to hang up. Wait, don't hang up. What's that noise? Popcorn? You're making popcorn. Uh-huh. I only eat popcorn when I listen to podcasts. I'm about to listen to a podcast. Oh, really? Which one? Probably the podcast on Haunted Hill. Is that the one with the two guys with the beards? Uh, yeah, Dan and Gav. Most episodes, they look at two different horror movies. Each episode, they look at a world of a strange, where they look at weird things from around the world. Sometimes, they even do special episodes where they look at different genres or directors' discographies and talk about them. Do you have a boyfriend? Maybe. So where can I find the podcast on Haunted Hill? Well, you can go to legionpodcast.com, Facebook, Twitter, or just go into iTunes and search for the podcast on Haunted Hill. So, are you going to ask me out? All right, kids, this is the, the kiss at the end of the rainbow, as uh, Scotty said on the opening of the one review for A Mighty Wind. And uh, th- that kiss, and I haven't done this in a long time, uh, talked about somebody who died, but we lost uh, some pretty cool people recently. And uh, one that stood out to me as a young comic book fan who, you know, whilst my cousin was making out with his girlfriends in his bedroom while he was supposed to be hanging out with me, you know, no love lost there. I dove into those long boxes in his closet, and I, I pulled out many of books that were drawn by uh, this man. Neil Adams was um, a comic book artist for, for DC and Marvel, respectively. Did a lot of cool Batman books, and he um, did, notoriously did um, the, the, the Green Lantern and Green Arrow uh, book, which you know, 
why it's controversial is a long time ago there was something called the Comic Code where you couldn't show certain things in a book. Well, they introduced a storyline where um, Speedy, Green Arrow's um, sidekick, which was his sister on the Arrow TV show, if you guys didn't know, that they, they changed it up for that. But um, Speedy got addicted to drugs, like hard drugs, and they had to be really careful you know, around, around this. And this, this book has won awards before, and he's won many awards. Uh, should be commended and loved if you haven't looked up uh, some of Neil Adams' work. You guys should go check that out. Uh, how does this pertain to cinema? Well, let me tell you. Neil Adams um, has done many cool poster art. He did the pencils for, for a, lot, a lot of cool poster art, including a lot of the the, the Bruce Lee knockoff films, or Bruce Lee died. Uh, Enter Three Dragons, he did the art for. The Death of Bruce Lee, he did the art for. Uh, Sister Street Fighter, which is not a like Bruce Lee movie, but he did the art for that. Um, he did a... Ooh, where's this at? He did a... Bruce Lee, the man, the myth, uh, starring Bruce Lai. You know, again, he did a lot of these Bruce Lee knockoff films, posters. It's pretty dope. It's a pretty cool part of history. But a few uh, really cool stuff he did that you guys may know, he did the poster art for William Girdler's, William Girdler's Grizzly, um, with the big, big bear. You know, you love his jaws with claws, y'all. If y'all don't love Grizzly, uh, what's wrong with you people? Uh, Death Promise is, is an okay exploitation movie. He did the art for that. Uh, boom, 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 boom. Westworld. He did the poster art for that with, with um, with freaking uh, Yul Brynner with the robot face. Pretty freaking terrifying. And uh, last but certainly not least, so, you know, amongst other things, he did the poster art for Phantom of the, Par- Phantom of the Paradise. And and that's um, that's loved amongst many people. And I, I'm one of those people. So Neil Adams, you know, for for all the special time you've given me over the years, I got to meet you a couple times over the years. Uh, I think if you and Mr. George Perez died this year, it'd be a very sad time for the comic book world. And I'm thinking about it right now, because he's got, like, stage four cancer, y'all. Just keep losing these greats. I mean, it's not just Stan Lee you should be blowing. I, I mean, <laughs> people are like, oh, you, you're picking on poor Stan Lee again. No, I'm not picking on poor Stan Lee again, but there's more there's more to, to love out there, as you guys sh- sh- should know. And, um... Yeah, go 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 check out Neil Adams' work. I'm sure there's many uh, appendices that have his work in there that you can buy. Trade paperbacks, outright back issues, just sitting at your uh, your um your stores, your comic book stores. Please support your comic book stores. As I'm recording this, this is Friday. The next day is Free Comic Book Day. The first the first Saturday in May is Free Comic Book Day. Now, when what that is is they they the distributors of the comics give these stores um. A bunch of free books, like, like promotional free books for your kids to come inside and to, to get and, you know, but this is meant for you to go into the store and support those stores that are fucking dying. And it makes me sad. It makes me sad in my cockles, in my subcockle area, um, that, that this is a thing, uh, that comic book stores are dying because, uh, there's not, there's one around me that's maybe, it's still, it's still a little ways away, but you know what? You, you need to support them. Go, go buy your Cards Without Humanity. Go buy your, your Magic Packs. Go buy all this stuff from your local store. Don't go to fucking Target. Don't. I, I, it bears repeating. Don't fucking go to those places to get this stuff. I hide shit at those stores when I see it there. Okay? Strange to say, but this is what, I, what I'm passionate about. Ce- celebrating the, the, the little man, you know, and helping him out. I mean, geez louise, man. I mean, they're dying. Where would kids go to hang out? You know, they, they want to be adventurous and hang out with other 
you know, like-minded nerds like themselves. Public service announcement, you know, and uh, so many more things. And uh, last but not least, you know, we, we discussed, you know, depression in a major way on on the My, Mighty Wind review. It was really a, a little short thing, but you know what? If you're feeling, you know, that low, if you feel you need somebody to talk to, you know, now in, in the age we live in, that the, there's more and more opportunities for you to find somebody to talk to if your loved ones aren't good enough. Uh, they have, you know, therapists online, like Zoom meeting therapists you, 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 talk, you can talk to. Of course, the the, 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 the suicide hotline, if you're, if you're that, you're that, uh, you know, down, you know, it, it, you can, you can call them, I guess. Um, that, that number, I'm going to give it to you right now, uh, available 24 hours a day, uh, 800-273-8255 if you're in the States. I, people, people get sad all the time. I'm one of those people. And that's just why you probably won't hear from me for, you'll hear from me soon, but like there's those times where there's been long gaps in this show. It's just, I've been feeling, I feel down and I, I don't want to talk to the people that I love and push that, push that evil on them. I, I, I don't want to do that, but you know what? It helps talk to people, and uh, this, this I've always said this podcast is my best therapy, and it it has been. It's got me out of some some dumpy, some dumpy, skanky situations. And if you feel need you need to talk to somebody, fuck it, pit me up. I mean, that's fine. I'm 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 I'm, I'm a, I can't say I've been there all the way, but I, I'm a good listener. So so uh, as uh, Jerry Springer would would say, you know, take care of yourself and each other. I'm gonna say that too because it's, it's very it's very important. Um, and then a down note. Let's 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 not do that. Thank you for eight great years. Uh, look for the next episode, which should be part three of this and the final part where we uh, discuss for your consideration with uh, Derek Boo Boo Bourgeois and mascots with one with one court psyops. And then me and Ricky will have one more episode of Cripple Theater for you. Um, uh, sandwiched in the middle of those two reviews, and uh, that'll be part three. And then um, after that, I'm gonna move on to, to do, doing some shows without my co-hosts if they don't want to show up. Because I'm, I'm gonna give them a Brian opportunity to have a break. If they don't want to take a little break, they can join in with uh, whoever else I have on the show. But I'm gonna record some surplus shows. I got Kate and Matt from the Eternal Eternal Sunshine of the Not So Spotless Mind. See, I almost messed it up too, Heather. See what I did there? Uh, they're going to come on for, for two films, um, where there's, uh, specters in the electricity, perhaps. Uh, we're going to do Ghost in the Machine from 1993 and Pulse, I think from 1986. Not the Asian one, the American one with Cliff DeYoung and a young Joey Lawrence. I think it's Joey Lawrence. It might be Matthew Lawrence. I, I forget which, which Lawrence brother it is, but electricity is alive inside the house and it's killing people. There's no explanation and I, I kind of love. Uh, you'll hear that coming soon. I hope to get Dan and Gab on the show um, very soon. Um, Cameron, I'm sure, will be on the show. There's plans to do another Beef, uh, Beef Out of the Cannon episode with Lee Russell, and hopefully uh, Lady Lee Hardy will be with us. We're going to do the Apple and uh, America 3000 together, like uh, two different kinds of post-apocalyptic movies in uh, canon style. Sasquatch on the roller skates. Got, gotta love it. But uh, anyway, I'll, I'll leave uh, much more spoilers to that. But... um. I have a list of shows that I think I know which one that Dan Bone will want to pick. I'm just going to throw it out there. Uh, this has been your Cine Beef Podcast, where if you've got beef, I've got the grinder. Thanks for listening.